two, one, boom. Hotep Jesus. Of all the Jesuses I know, he's the Hotepiest. Social scientist and YouTube host, Hotep Jesus. How the fuck do you get a name like Hotep Jesus? The one and only Hotep Jesus. Ryan Sharp, better known to the world as Hotep Jesus. Hotep Jesus. Hotep Jesus. Hotep, Hotep, Hotep Jesus. Hotep, you're a genius. Hotepjesus.com. Somebody said, what do you think you are? Some kind of Hotep Jesus? Ooh, and that's I was good. Just like, ooh, that's sexy. <laughs> yes, I do think I'm Hotep Jesus. Cool. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a special edition of the Griff Report. Today, I am joined by none other than the infamous and outspoken Royce White. What up, Royce? How you doing, man? How you doing? Good to be with you. Uh, life is good. Um, life is great. Glad to be here. Um, glad to capitalize off of um, an event that's happening between you and Jason Whitlock. This is great grifting. As this, as everybody knows, is the Grift Report. We're always looking for a good reason to grift. And we're just going to hop right into it. I don't want to yeah. dilly-dally. Uh, Royce promised to stay with me for a significant uh, amount of time today. So we got a lot to cover. And we're going to clear the air on much of this, but I want to start right here because this is the thing everybody wants to deal with, right? And and everybody that wants to come for the petty stuff, we can cover that right now. Then you can leave when me and Royce talk about big brain stuff. I don't have a problem with that. Um, so you posted this tweet earlier, and it says here, oh, tonight is going to be good. Going on with Hotel Jesus, then PCMC at 9 p.m. Whitlock, my brother, you're out here in the deep waters. I'm going to toss a life raft, though. Imagine throwing petty claims and purity tests at a young man you mentored for a man you've spoken to three times. Okay. I watched your, your uh, uh, Jason Whitlock video. I think that came out last week. Friday, Actually, I'm sure. Friday, the Friday and Thursday and Saturday, I think I did too. I caught the Tuesday one, I think. I think the, the, it was Thursday. Yeah, it was Thursday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I, I watched that, and uh, it basically it seemed like what you were saying is uh, just to summarize really quick here. You're saying, uh, and I'm power. I'm not even fr uh, quoting you. Uh, Jason's bootlicking for the white conservatives. Is that accurate? Inaccurate? Would you like to add nuance to that? Yeah, of course. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say that. I'd say that that Jason uh, is is new to politics. He's new to being red pilled. He's his, his red pill is, is only, uh, halfway down, you know, pause, <laughs> I would say his red pill is only halfway down. And, and, uh, he seems to have this worldview that many 501 C three Christians have that because Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, that they, they don't have to, they don't have to engage with politics or that any other extenuated circumstances of our society come to bear on them because, Hey, they're already saved. And, so, you know, politics is secondary. In his first time speaking on it publicly in his podcast last night, he made the claim that I was obsessed with politics. I'm like, they're about to take the presidential candidate off the ballot. If there's no time, if there's any time to be or have an urgency around politics, I'd say right now is that time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, he, he spends a lot of time focused on cultural wedge issues regarding black folks, right? And I'm not saying that that cultural wedge issues aren't important. I'm not saying that there isn't scams being run with BLM and, and the LGBTQ and the Time's Up movement or the Me Too movement. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying Marxism isn't a problem. 
But there's always one area that these cultural wedge issues, Republicans, conservative commentators want to stay away from. And that's the, that's the big neocon. And it, it, is, it is a neocon. And as soon as I went to talk about Israel and Palestine and the military industrial complex, which I talk about a lot, but every time I talk about the military industrial complex on Fearless, you can see there's a cohort in his audience that's like, here we go again. And, and you can tell Jason's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, that's a big idea for me. You know, and it's like, it's not a big idea, the, the, the military industrial complex and your crony capitalist politicians in the conservative movement, the commentators, there's a true $2 trillion a year budget that they whack up amongst 2,000 people. The big on it's probably a trillion dollars that they can steal. And that, that budget item, that line item makes due every year. And this is a huge reason why the 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 neocon conservative uh the neocons have hijacked the conservative movement none of them want to talk about it it's it's the it's the it's the sean hannity's it's the um you know it's the brent bayers it's mark levin it's uh, ben shapiro it's uh you know uh, um you know pick one pick one of these guys it's glenn beck in many respects it's a lot of these guys glenn it's a, beck. It, damn beck too now glenn is a little now glenn will kind of venture out there but you can look at his tweets in the last couple of days. It's all pro-Israel. You know, we got to support them. Unlimited aid. Look, the, uh, America First policy is is rooted in uh, uh, a political worldview around foreign policy. If your foreign policy is interventionist, you're not America First. This is a purity. To, this is a hard line to draw in the conservative movement. And for some reason, all these people who talk about Dwight Howard, you know, being a bottom or, or Dave Chappelle siding with Palestine or, or the NBA being sold out to China, which all of it is true. And I wouldn't disagree with why do we spend no time on how the neocons are stealing tax money by telling you the Muslims are coming or, or, you know, somebody in some place is so dangerous and, and they look different than you and they believe something so different than you. We got to steal your money so that, so that, and then pay an inflated price for the goods we buy from the arms manufacturers to go protect you when you have the second amendment, I'm just not buying it. And Jason is still, you know, his, his red pill is halfway down. <laughs> Who's Mark Levin. Mark Levin is the neocon of neocons. He was the chief of staff. Uh, when, when, when Ronald Reagan, so the, the conservative movement uh, is rooted in Barry Goldwater and Nixon's uh, presidential uh, candidacies, right? Their presidential campaigns. Barry Goldwater lost on a conservative platform, but he was he is considered the forefather of conservatism, right? Modern conservatism. And then Nixon came along, and Nixon was a little bit more electable, right? But but in turn uh, was the real launch pad for the conservative movement. And then after Nixon, the next big president, notable president, was Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan is beloved and is considered a saint of the Republican Party, of the conservative movement. And Ronald Reagan did some good things, but he also was involved in some very controversial things, one of which was the Iran-Contra scandal, in which the CIA brokered a deal between the Sandinistas, the Iranians, and black communities all across the country to move guns, drugs, and, and uh, guns, drugs, and money, essentially. It was a three-way trade. Um, and they armed the Iranians. And, you know, a bunch of people took, a bunch of people took heat for it later, one of them being Oliver North, who... You know, that that whole he fell on the sword. But uh, Attorney General Edwin Meese, the third uh, was was 
somebody who was was accused of obstructing justice to protect Reagan's uh, legacy or his image from the scandal. And guess who his chief of staff was? Mark Levin. Right. And Oliver North said that William Casey, who was the director of the CIA at the time, Oliver North said William Casey told him to destroy documents regarding Iran-Contra. Now, if he went to destroy documents and Edwin Meese was running a cover-up for Reagan, who do you think was destroying the documents that may have been involved with Edwin Meese's uh, cover-up? His chief of staff, right? So Mark Levin is is 100%, uh, um, you know, it, it, he, he is like a part of the brain trust of the neoconservative neocon. Like he was there in the beginning yeah, and everybody goes, well, everybody goes, Reagan wasn't, you know, Reagan was a good president and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Reagan did some good things. He had a good smile. He was charismatic. No doubt. He was a good politician. Number one, he used to be a Democrat. And it's funny that Jason would, 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 would uh, attack me with allegedly being a former Democrat. I'm 32 years old, number one. Uh, but the yeah, saint of I the conservative. I want to talk about that too. Yeah. We'll the get to saint that. of the conservative. We'll get to that. But just the saint of the conservative movement was a former Democrat, Reagan. He defected from the Democrat Party, which many of us should do. And I would recommend many of us do. But it's not really about Reagan. It's about all the people who were behind Reagan. You know, uh, it was it was George Bush Sr. And, uh, you know, it, and it was the Kagans and, and all these people who have this interventionist foreign policy. Mark Levin was right there. Eventually, he got a pass. He became the attorney at the Landmark Legal Foundation, which is a conservative legal foundation, legal fund. And then he became a voice that's popular in conservative media. They call him the great one. And he has a huge two million, three million person following. And he does the same thing that Jason is doing from the white Israel first angle. So he's doing the. Ex how is he tied to Jason? Oh, number one, uh, he was co-founder of the Blaze. With, with Glenn Beck. Okay. And it's listed right there on their website still to this day. I mean, it's not hidden. Mm. And his company, CCR TV, uh, did a merger with, with Blaze, what, what then was The Blaze, to become Blaze Media. And so, number one, and, you know, Mark Levin and Jason have some history. Jason referenced that he only talked to Mark Levin three times, but he called him his friend, yet I can't talk about him or mention his name. And he cuts my segment in calling Mark Levin out uh, out of this, out of the show without telling me. And he's saying that I'm just randomly picking Mark Levin. I'm just, I just picked him out of a hat and I got some beef with him that he doesn't know about. Wait, no, what happened? Go he, ahead. He cut who out of what? When Matt Gates went to the well of the Congress and said that corporate, that lobbyism and, and, um, and special interest have hollowed out the Congress that, that these things have hollowed out DC and he tried to get Speaker McCarthy out. Mark Levin had very disparaging comments about M Matt Gates. He said Matt Gates was just seeking attention, said he wasn't, he was a radical, he didn't know what he was doing. He was just, you know, he was doing it for himself. Basically called him a grifter, right? Yeah. I think he may have even called him a grifter, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, and, and so Jason brought Matt Gates on his show mm -hmm. that week to talk about what he had done in the Congress, what, what getting McCarthy out. And then he brought me in after Matt Gates to comment about Matt Gates's segment, basically, or mm. what had went on from mm. my from my vantage point. Um, and you know, Matt said he showed Matt a clip of me talking about the plan. Because everybody's uh, uh, you know, everybody's 
everybody's criticism then was, what's the plan, right? Okay, you're getting McCarthy out, but what's the plan? And I simply said on Jason's about a, 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 couple, a couple of days before, the plan is to explode, expose their plan. Mm. That's our number one plan right now is to expose their plan. Mm. So I went on and I talked about Matt Gates, And the first thing I said was, these guys like Mark Levin, who are conservative stalwarts, are trying to, you know, besmirch Matt Gates and, and, and criticize him and cut him down. These people are rhinos. These people are the neoconservative rhino faction of the Republican Party and conservative movement. Jason Whitlock stops me after I said his name a few more times. He stops me mid-show and says, hey, 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 let that be the last time you say Mark Levin's name. This is live or pre-recorded? This was pre-recorded. <laughs> he okay. said, let that be the last time you say, he showed, bro, he showed it last night in his response. He showed the clip where he did this. Okay. And I was laughing it off. I'm like, I don't even really know at the time. I didn't know that Mark Levin was a co-founder of The Blaze. I didn't know that Mark Levin and, and Glenn Beck had merged their companies, that he was ever involved in The Blaze. I know who Mark Levin is from historical study of American politics. I got you. I'm not aware of Mark Levin's business dealings like that. Hmm. So after, after he said it, and he said Mark Levin was his friend, it was, it was weird to me. So I went back and I started to look up if he had a connection with The Blaze. And lo and behold, you find... He was the co-founder. So, so now said, I'm like, oh. So he said, let this be the last time you talk about Mark Levin. And then what happened let, after yeah. that? Let this be the last time you mention Mark Levin's name. I went on and I just, I, I, I said what I had to say about the entire neocon rhino sort of archetype. Yeah. And then I go to watch the show later on that night. And the whole segment of me saying his name is completely cut out. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I laughed at it. But I knew that was the start of the, of, of the bullshit right there. As soon as I saw it that night, I was like, oh, it's it's on. Because he know he knew, Jason knows me. He knows I'm not going to let off a person's name, especially now that it looks like you're trying to hide him, like you're trying to protect him. Yeah. So, that, so then, I mean, that's that who Mark when, Levin is. That's when you decide to make your Jason Whitlock video after that? No, 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 no. This this was a week. So then about a week later, Israel goes into, you know, Israel's at war, right? And that whole con, this was a week after Matt Gates got McCarthy out, remember. Then you had Israel and Palestine pop off. And so me and Jason are talking back and forth about the Israeli conflict and everything going on there. And so about uh, uh, during that week, I came on to talk about Israel a little bit, right? And then, now mind you, during that week, Mark Levin goes out, full-blown Israel first, Right unlimited military aid, even went so far as to threaten the United States with nuclear action. He goes, if, if the U.S. isn't willing to give us unlimited aid, then Israel may need to use nuclear weapons. Wait, 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 wait. Time out. Wait, wait a second. Is Look Mark Levin an Israeli or, or uh, an American? He's an American. Okay. All right. He said, and I quote, it, to the paraphrasing, he was making a, he was making a, a, a sort of um, observation as the leading conservative voice in American politics by many people's standards that if Israel doesn't get unlimited aid from the United States, then they may have to use nuclear weapons. I mean, you know, that's kind of an, a, 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 a sort of threat, right, yeah. to, to, to Americans who, who wouldn't want nuclear war. Right. Right. It's like, oh, we have to go intervene or else or else Israel's gonna be the one to pop the nukes off. We're all supposed to be worried that Russia's gonna pop nukes off, but now we have to worry Israel might pop nukes off in their own defense. I mean, come on. 
the grift is is outrageous here. In okay? the little and, strip and, of Gaza, <laughs> they need nukes. <laughs> no, no, no. They're not talking about just in Gaza. Iran, they're talking about the, the whole region. Yemen. The whole region. And uh, guess what? BB Netanyahu said something very similar in Hebrew in the last in the last few days. So there's that's something. We'll get to that. But anyway. Okay. So so you and Jason talking Palestine, we Israel. We talk Palestine, conflict. Israel. I say what I had to say about that. But the whole time, I'm sending Jason information on Mark Levin. Because remember now, Jason comes out and he, he, he publicly rails against Ben Shapiro for his Israel first stance. So he's cool there. Mm. And then Ben Shapiro goes on Mark Levin's, uh, Levin's show. And they circle jerk each other about the exact same foreign policy worldview. Mm. And so I send that video to Jason, and I'm like, "Look at your boy. Look, look at your boy, Mark Levin. This is your boy. This is the dude you said was your friend. Dancing with this is dancing with Big Boss Ben. This is your guy right here, right? Yeah. This is your man. And so then, a week later, after Dave Chappelle made the comments that he was, you know, got in an argument with somebody in the crowd about Hamas and his stance on Palestine or whatever, whatever that was." They bring me on the show to talk about Dave Chappelle and 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 BLM essentially. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I'm just like on the show, and you can go. This was like last Tuesday when I was on Whitlock. On the show, I'm like, um, you know, I just take the conversation to the global. I don't need to talk about, you know, okay, BLM is gonna co-opt any movement that they can co-opt. They're gonna, they're gonna leech on to any grievance they can leech on to. Fine. We all know that. That was two years ago when I first came on the show. Let's talk about the neocon. Let's talk about we're on the brink of World War III and who's promulgating the conflict, right? And it was like, ah, oh, I, I get a text message after the, after the show and whatnot, basically saying, you know, today wasn't good because you took the conversation too far. My audience doesn't understand or they can't keep up or, you know, whatever, the, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And he was like, you know, we should have talked about the NAACP and the Jewish influence on the NAACP and then went on to a conversation about Dave Chappelle and Kanye and Kyrie. Now, Jason ain't never called me or text me and told me what I should be saying or how I should be talking or the order in which I should be laying things out. Never once. We may have had little casual conversations about the overall approach and just like what we're trying to build in the conversation, but it was more so me putting him up on historical facts and policy and politics that he wasn't previously aware of which he started to build the direction of fearless towards over the last year and a half. But now all of a sudden you're telling me, you know, let's talk about Dave Chappelle, Kanye and Kyrie on the brink of world war three. <laughs> no, sir. I can't do it, sir. What did you say on the show about the Palestine Israel conflict? If they were starting to talk about Dave Chappelle and that stuff, what, how did you spin that? Well, I just I just answered the question about Dave Chappelle and, and BLM, you know, being pro Hamas first. And I said, look, they're going to co-opt any movement. And then I went on to talk about the, the actual conflict between Israel and Palestine and what my position is on it. OK. And he was, you know, he and, and when you go back and watch that episode again, this is all public. So, the, the you know, all this. Oh, you're betraying me with the talking about private stuff. All of this, all the stuff I talked about in my podcast towards Jason was all stuff that had been publicly spoken about by him himself. Yeah. I didn't reveal anything that he hasn't talked about on the show or in the Twitter space or, or anything. Um, but, but no, go ahead. I'm it, sorry. Yeah. No, with the Palestine and Israel thing, I just, I, I said, look, you know, he kind of danced around it in the episode where he was like, I may be getting myself in trouble, 
and I'm I'm just kind of sitting here. I'm I'm getting offended by it. I'm 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 insulted. I'm like in trouble with who? <laughs> now in my mind, I'm knowing that I'm knowing the neocons that are around this little ecosystem, this little community, but they never really intervened on the show before. And Jason has, for the most part, done well in the conservative movement to at least talk about the black and Jewish uh, dynamic. But now he's saying, you know, oh, we, you know, I probably already got in trouble. And I'm like, either you don't know enough about politics to have a firm stance right here, or somebody's telling you what you can and can't say. You can only go so far. And I'm like, um, I'm like, well, I'll just go there then. Let me get in trouble. We live on the show. I'm like, let me get in trouble. I got it. <laughs> you sit back, big bro. Yeah. Let me let me let him let him come clip me out. Right. I said, we're America first. We have a crisis at our own border. Our southern border is wide open. Our northern border may be wide open. The entire country's wide open to whatever scam they're running with this immigration uh, humanitarian crisis, as uh, you know, Ayanna Presley calls it. Uh, we we have our own crisis. We can't be defending the empire all over the world. And and I've eventually rounded it off to you know saying exactly what 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 I said on my podcast a few days later. The neocon movement, the the neocon, is to always provide fear to middle aged uh, white boomers about religion, geography, and race. Oh, this is a real hotel, brother. Continue. That, that's what it is. I mean, they just they they always ratchet up the fear. They always ratchet up the fear around uh, uh, geography. There's somebody somewhere doing something you can't see, and you got to give us your tax money to surveil them, right? Mm. And if you don't give us their tax money, it won't be long before they're in your neighborhood. Okay, then it's religion. These people believe something different than you. I mean, they have a different set of of of, of ideas than you do. So we need to watch them. Give us your tax money, or else those ideas might make it into your neighborhood. And then finally, which is more socially unacceptable nowadays, these people are just different than you, than you innately, right? Genetically, you know, racially, right? And that is the ugliest side of the neocon, you know, uh, the neocon, right? Is using and drawing upon that racial thing to say these, and that's how BLM gets thrown at Hamas and bunched together, and they don't even like each other. Because it services the narrative that 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 is a a, a a pendulum between their domestic policy and their foreign policy, right? Be scared of the young black man who's stealing bags from the department store. Don't fear taxation without representation and militarization of 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 the government. Don't fear that. Oh, oh don't fear kangaroo courts that could actually come down on the leader of our political movement because you know we don't really like him that much anyway. Donald J. Trump. If he's a victim of the kangaroo court, so be it. I mean, we really don't like him anyway, right? Don't, don't, that's not the worry. You know, French fries, politics with French fries, drive through politics, drive through Christianity. It's not, it's not really the fear. It's not the fear of tyrannical government that really drives this movement. It's who we can get you to, to, to believe is a threat for you to stay alive and still be able to pay your taxes and be overtaxed by us. And the, and the Republicans talk about low taxes, low regulation. I've been running as a Republican candidate now for two cycles. Once as a congressman against Ilhan Omar and CD5 in here in Minnesota, and now as a senatorial candidate against Amy Klobuchar. And I'm in these Republican circles. I'm in the party. I'm going to the, the events. I'm going to the, 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 the politics with wieners and, 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 you know, chicken wings and beer. And all I keep hearing people talk about is, is no, not all. Half of the people talk about America first. Half the people go, Low taxes, low regulation. Low taxes except for the military? 
except for a $3 trillion budget, black money included, that you got to pay, that's inflated by the same people who tell you you got to go to war with the Arabs? I mean, give me a break. I'm not, I'm not buying it. And I, so I call foul on the whole thing in that segment. And I ended by saying, you know, look at the Saudis, for example. The Saudis, you know, um, you know, everybody now is 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 basically joining a side based on the, the another set of cultural wedge issues, religion, race, geography, and it's the Saudis, or it's it's the Iranians, or you know, it's 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 the European Union and, and Davos and China and Iran. Now the access of evil is Iran, China, Russia, which the Iron Triangle is a, 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 a an alliance, right? Um, but the point is, what does that have to do with America's fundamental position to fight wars on the Eurasian landmass? Unlimited wars on the uh, forever wars on the Eurasian landmass. That's not an America first policy position. And so I said to him, I go, Jason, look at the Saudis. You all really think this is about Islam and Judaism or Arabs and, and Jews or blacks? And I said the Saudis were in were were the were the linchpin of the modern monetary policy and system globally. You had the Fed, you had the fiat currency, then you had going off the gold standard, and then you had the petrodollar. And the petrodollar wasn't brought by Democrats, it was brought by conservatives. Richard Nixon and his, and his whisperer, Kissinger, who just happens to be a Jew, I'm not saying anything about that, but Kissinger whispers in Nixon's ear, and, and all of a sudden, uh, we we uh, we we go off the gold standard and we do the petrodollar, where our 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 our, our currencies, our currencies vitality and strength is tied up in the Saudi Arabian oil fields. When we have all the oil we need here at home, so now I'm supposed to believe the Saudis are 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 um, aligned with the Muslims on ideological basis, but Europe is saying that Riyadh is the crown jewel of the fourth industrial revolution. The great, the Britain, the British, Brussels, Vienna, uh, the, the entire party of Davos, the entire European aristocrat uh, elite are saying, we're going to Abu Dhabi and, and Riyadh. That's going to be the, that's where the first line city is going to be. Look at how beautiful the fourth industrial revolution can be. And I'm supposed to be caught up in these, in these culture wars that y'all are selling on TV to American taxpayers so you can scam the money. This, you're the grifters. And Jason specifically you want to talk about Dave Chappelle on the brink of world war? Are you I, Look, I like Dave Chappelle. He's a funny guy. Respect. I like him. He's, he's funny. He says some stuff sometimes. Sometimes I think he's towing the line. Regardless, I don't got no time for no Dave Chappelle when I got 40 minutes on Fearless in front of a 400,000 person audience. I don't got time for Dave Chappelle when we're going to world war. I'm sorry, bro. Who are you? What are you doing? What, 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 kind, of, what kind of game you Oh. Oh, you came from the Fox News machine. You came from the Bill O'Reilly's and the and the and the and the Sean Hannity's and even Tucker Carlson a little bit. Tucker got woke. Tucker said it himself. I just recently started to understand how corrupt this system really is. Before he didn't really get it. When I went on Tucker's show and talked about the Federal Reserve, I only got three minutes to talk. Never got invited back on. Then BlackRock and Dominion clipped Tucker's nuts on behalf of the Murdochs. Right. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Murdoch clips Tucker's nuts on behalf of Dominion and BlackRock. Right. Come on. This is Jason's crew. I mean, this is where he comes from. His conservatism is rooted in a neoconservative worldview. Can I 
Can I, so all I was trying to do to him is bring him out of that. But, but take the wool over your off, you know, take the wool from in front of you, bro. These people are not your friends. But Royce, Royce, I, let's look at this another way, right? What okay. if Jason's looking at clicks and he's and and not only clicks, he understands that most people aren't as savvy as you. They don't have your intelligence. So he goes, yep. let's do small brain content that gets more clicks. Could that then be he's a sellout. it? Then he's a sellout. He then he's a sellout. Then he's a sellout of the same variety because LeBron James is doing his thing for clicks. Same thing you're saying about Stephen A. Smith. He's doing his thing for clicks. I mean, we all can make that excuse. Where do we draw that line? I don't play that game. And that's, you know, and that's why Big Broden bit off more than he could chew with me. I'm way, di I'm, I'm cut way, way different. I'm from a whole different caliber of breed. There ain't no compromise with me. I don't have nobody support. All, all you, everything you see, everything you see, I'm, I did myself. You know, the people who are around me, they never, never come to me and tell me how to talk. They talk with me. They learn from me. They let me give them insight from the young man's perspective that comes from a different cultural background and worldview, who wasn't trained in the intellectual tr tradition. There ain't nobody pulling my strings. But, I say but, whatever the f I want. But but the audience, the the great masses of people can't follow your no, line can. of thinking. So do no, you? No, they do can. That's not true. Okay. That's not. Oh, bro, give me a break, Jordan Peterson. Who's more? Con oh, they, no, they don't like when black guys, when black militants talk intellectually oh, let's just real. be real <laughs> no 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 i'm it's not i'm not saying it to race bait i'm just not i'm let's talk for real jordan peterson has had one of the one of the steepest rises from uh, uh um uh, obscurity to political and cultural prominence and he talks as complicated and as many uh run-on sentences and and complicated compound uh ideas that you could possibly imagine to the point where even I'm listening sometimes and I got to rewind and say, damn, what did he, let me, let me connect that back one more time. Just so I, I heard it, I get it, but, but, but let me just make sure. Cause there was some, there was some stuff in there, right? Um, he's as popular as anybody in the conservative movement, but they can't follow the black guy who talks about military industrial complex. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> they can follow Ben Shapiro and his little whiny punk pencil neck voice. <laughs> Throwing a thousand mile, thousand words a minute, you know, constitutional guru Ben Shapiro, they can listen to him run off two thousand, three thousand words a minute in his little punk pencil neck voice, but they can't understand when I talk about military industrial complex or globalism. Come on, my come on, my man, that's an excuse. Look, and and this is what I said to Jason. He said on the show many times. Look, I'm not married. I don't have any kids. You got me hyped up today. Let me calm down. <laughs> when you get attacked when you get attacked in the middle in the wee hours of the night by your by your friend, somebody you consider your friend, you get a little hyped. Let me calm down. Absolutely. What I'm saying is this. My apologies. Um what I told Jason is this, and he said that on the show many times. He doesn't have a wife, he doesn't have kids. So his career has become his family. His his career has become his wife and kids. His career has become his his uh, you know, his focus. His, his life's ambition, right? Well, if, you're, if your wife and child is your media career uh, and you cater to what your audience says or what your audience wants to hear, ain't that kind of like being run by your bitch? I mean, we talk a lot about how feminine energy, how, how America in the West is, is feminized, right? Because men are following, following women around uh, you know, and, and, and allowing them to dictate 
to to men and 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 uh, undermine masculinity. Well, if your audience is your wife and you cater to what she wants to hear, then your bitch is running you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, that uh... not me. That ain't me. That that just never been my style. I would rather not have any audience than bear bear false witness. I would rather I would rather let the record reflect. I would rather let the history show, like Galileo, right? Who went? Well, I'm not saying Galileo was right. Or what I'm saying is he was persecuted, and later on, people said, "Oh, wait, he was right." <laughs> I'm fine with that. But those of us who have that ego and pride and vanity, who may talk about ministry and evangelizing, and and saving the country, but when you really start to dig through their motive, you can see that you're interested in what it can do for you more than what it can do for somebody else. And there's nothing Christ-like about that. There's nothing Christian about that. There's nothing, there's nothing faithful or righteous about that. None of this is for what it can do for me. If it was for me, my show would be, if you go to Please Call Me Crazy, you don't see titles that are clickbait. You don't see, oh, the LGBTQ, you know, uh, passes the law to be able to put the statue of Lilith uh, in the front lawn of of the you know the next you know local town hall or or mayor's office, you don't see that on my show. I go all big ideas, and guess what? When the, the referendum for America is on the American people, that's what leaders do. Like when I coach my young fellas in high school, I say, "Look, I can teach you everything that that I know. I can tell you how to do it. At the end of the day, you got to choose. So bring it, doing baby food for black folks ain't ain't helping nobody." Doing baby food for black folks and, and baby food while Mark Levin and the Glenn Becks and those neocons watch isn't helping nobody. It really, it, it, I, it, it, it was helping, it was helping when you bring a Royce White and a, a Hotep Jesus and these types of people on. Yeah. Yeah, now you get a different variety of that real deep stuff. And, and you can bring people in there maybe by the clicks, but a lot of people, what you see in the social media digital craze, a lot of people come for what they come for and they don't stay for the deep stuff. And they even, they even, uh, you know, uh, denounce or reject or, or criticize the deep stuff. You can see it in the audience. Yeah. The people who like what Royce white has to say, the people who like the deep, the people who want to know what's really going on, who want to get into that real, that real substantive stuff. They appreciated it on day one when I showed up on fearless and they appreciate it. Every time I show up on fearless, the people who have this little, animus or this little prejudice that you know Royce is trying to sound smart no I am smart it's the Mark Levins who are trying to sound smart mm. and in some cases it's the Jason Whitlocks who are trying to sound smart right so I'm not I, trying to sound smart I have this term called a uh, partisan prisoner where basically if you're on the left you got to stay within the party lines and if you're on the right you got to yeah. stay within the talking points of the party lines it sounds like Jason may be a victim of this partisan prison is that accurate or would you provide some other nuance I, I, to that? I think I think he is but he doesn't even realize it like I oh, said he doesn't his red even pill, know it his red pill is only halfway to, look anybody who's been watching fearless over the last two years has seen me radicalize Jason Whitlock in some respects right in in many ways now there are other people who have been involved in that process, right? Tucker Carlson has become radicalized himself. But part of Tucker's radicalization is from the same tree, intellectual tree that I come from. Because all of them behind the scenes are getting, they're all watching Steve Bannon. They don't want to say it. 
but they're all watching Steve and they're all watching Alex, right? Nobody wants to say, everybody comes to the, to the broadcast table like their material's original, right? Y'all are all watching Bannon and Alex. I, I can hear it because I'm actually with those two, right? Those are my guys. So I know, I know what it sounds like, and I know what you were saying last year. You weren't talking like that. You weren't talking about uh, the party of Davos and globalism, and, and, uh, and, and uh, you weren't talking like that. You weren't talking about technocrats, technocracy, and all. You weren't talking like that, right? So people have watched Jason become more radical, more political, more politically conscious. He himself has given a lot of that credit to me on his show. Okay, my, my point to Jason is don't tell me to be humble. Don't say I'm arrogant. It's arrogant for you to try and, you know, for you to say basically because I'm the young guy, I'm 32 years old, I haven't been in broadcasting as long as you, I haven't had the career that you had, that I need to take a backseat to what you think is best for the audience and their intellectual growth. How? When I, I'm helping you grow intellectually. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't, that doesn't add up. Yeah. And, and you come to a point where it's sort of a, 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 an envy or, a, you know, a natural sort of, a, a, you know, pissing contest between men, even in a political or intellectual sense, where Jason's now telling me, you know, sit back, young fella. You don't know as much as I know. But you're going on your show saying week after week when I come on, man, Royce made me think about this. Royce made me think about that. All I'm doing now is telling you, bro, you're spending too much time talking about Deion Sanders. I don't care about no dude with the nickname Prime Time. That's not important to me. We're going to nuclear war, bro. And I told him on the, sh on the show, I can see a future where we have football, but we don't have freedom. So then what's football oh, going to look like? You know, so that's that. I, I don't think it's partisan like, because Jason Whitlock's not a part of a party. But the party, yeah, the party nomenclature, the party, you know, uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, narrative um, is is what he comes from. But again, what Jason, and then I really started, let, let's go all the way. Then I really start to think to myself, when I hear somebody try and say that I'm a BLM plant, that that I was trained by the left, like the, like the stuff that I'm talking about that all these people can't follow. Like, imagine, if I'm a plant, and I was trained by, I don't know, George Soros' Open Foundation or some somebody, I don't know. Would they train me how to talk over people's head or would they tell me how to how to talk exactly so people got brainwashed the way they want to, exactly the way, way they want them to? Perfect. Yeah, yeah they, talk, they talk simplistically. Right. Right. When you talk to CIA assets, people who used to do CIA, they don't talk over people's head. They're very direct and methodical with how they, they don't talk like me. I'm an original, authentic thinker in real time. I, I say as I'm thinking in real time. Right. Right. Um, so to say I'm a BLM plant, I start to look at Jason like, who are you exactly? Because isn't the goal like your work or, or my work in broadcasting or our work in the community or um, a Christian's work, a, a faithful person's work uh, in their ministry or, or whatever their, their, their mission is, right? Isn't the point to convert people who were on the other side? If I'm a Christian and I run into an atheist, isn't the point for me to get them to believe in God? If I'm a Republican and run into a Democrat, isn't the point for me to get them to vote Republican? Or, or have an America first, in our sense, America first, make America great again sort of, uh, of, of, uh, of, of worldview towards in politics? In many ways, yes. Th that's kind of the whole point of it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that, that's what we're doing. At least that's what Jason says he's doing. Mm. You want black people, you know, to come to the cookout 
and and hear Christian values and understand how they're being played by these political elites, well, what do you want them to do about it? And if you're going to do a purity test on a Royce White, who's as ultra MAGA as they come, I'm so MAGA the Washington Post is like, this dude is far right, further right than Bannon and Trump. That's true. Okay, no. Yeah, yeah, okay, that. so <laughs> if you're going to do a purity test on me, what are you saying to all the other black folks or all the other atheists or all the other uh, cultural Democrats or Democrats or whoever that want to cross the line into, you are actually functioning as the outer guard of new world order. You're blocking the movement from getting new people in many ways. He doesn't see it because you might get a black person in the comments who'd be like, man, I never thought about it this way. But for the broad swath of people, what do black people genuinely think of, generally think about Jason Whitlock? Uh, that he's taking money, cool. that he, that he's, well, well, that he's taking money from a white establishment, from conservative commentators to talk about petty black issues and, and you know, kind of just, you know, shit on black folks. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I've had to defend Jason many times and say, that ain't the whole story. Come on, y'all. The stuff he's talking about is, is accurate. Y'all, we shooting each other up in the streets. It's, it's a problem. The drugs and gangs and violence, it's a problem. The fatherlessness in the homes, it's a problem. It ain't the problem they want to make it, but, but it's a problem. And, and just us voting Democrat for social welfare and expansive government, federal government, is a problem. Yeah, yeah, we got some stuff going on in our community. So he's saying some right things. But when you don't balance that out with, with actually naming the names of the people who preside over that circumstance, you give the Marxists and the leftists all the ammunition to keep these people in the enclave. Because the black man, the average black man who really, who do, really don't see it that way, they rolling with Royce White because they know I'm not afraid to name them, right? So when I come and tell them, yo, you want your money going to Ukraine or you want your money going to your kid's school district? Oh, we could roll with Royce. D duh. I mean, that's, that's not, hey, you, do you want the, the Mark Levins and the ADLs to be able to tell you how you can talk or you want to be able to use your freedom of speech? America first, American print. They rolling with me. But when they see Whitlock take out a whole week to just attack Deion Sanders, they start going, is this about the movement? Is this about Christianity? Is this about, is this about freedom and, 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 and America's values? Or is it about hating? And so how can the little bro not come to the big bro and say, hey, bro, I'm, I'm just going to put you, you know, from my lens, you may not be intending it this way. The same way he's telling me you may not be meaning to talk over people's heads, but you are. Now little bro can't pull you to the side and say, you might not mean it this way, but you kind of sound like you hate my guy. Well, that's the pushback I'm seeing online. They're saying you took it public when you should have pulled him to the side private. I did pull him to the side private. I pulled him to the side private and he told me, stay in your place. <laughs> okay. No, and it, and it actually was a little, it actually was a little more catty than that. I just ain't really interested in talking about it, but he talked to me in a way where, you know, the neighborhood I come from, you know, we can agree to go outside in the back for five minutes and, and knuckle up. That, that, that's a part of the culture that I come from. And I think the black community has lost that writ large. I think the black community is way too quick to shoot and stab and do silly stuff because they didn't come up in a community with a code where fighting is okay. Men need to fight. Men, men need to, and, and I'm not saying fight Jace because he's an older man, but the way he talked to me was kind of like he wanted to, you know, like he wanted to, to, to you know, lock up. You know what I'm saying? Where he was basically like, in, in short, he, was, he said something to the effect of, you know, um, your arrogance is your problem. 
you know, you're being a baby. He told me I'm being a baby. He was like, yeah, you're being a baby. He's like, just take the criticism and hit, I'll get back to you in a, in a, in a week or so and, and think about what I said type of deal. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, there's nothing to think about. I'm not talking about, uh, there is no simple way to talk about the conflict between Jews and blacks in America because there's no simple way to talk about the conflict or the, the history between Jews and blacks in the world. Right. It's not a simple matter. We can talk about it. It's worthwhile to talk about, but there's nothing simple about it. And anybody who comes to your show who wants a simple answer, they're probably not there for the reasons you say you're doing your show. Mm. If people want simple in a time where something's so complex, then they're not there for the truth. They're there for their own jerk-off. And that's why I say we have a jerk-off society. And we do. 50% of the internet is porn. We have a jerk-off society, literally. But porn's not the only jerk-off. We jerk off on the Jason Whitlocks, talking about Deion Sanders, right? And I'm just like, who, who does that? I mean, I just come from a crew. I just come from a place. I come from a life, a, a history, a childhood where I had my own lunch table. Nobody who sat at my lunch table could come back to the lunch table with and us have the knowledge that they spend a lot of time watching Jason Whitlock rag on Deion Sanders or Stephen A. Smith, for example, rag on Kyrie Irving, and 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 you can sit with it. You can't sit with us because you're a goofball. You ain't even – go do something, bro. Do something useful. Be productive. You know, and that was the standard I hold with, with the people that were around me when I was coming up as a kid, when I was young playing ball, you know, wherever I was. And that's one thing people who know me from my past can always say I always push the people around me to think to think higher to do better to be to be more than whatever the people around them who want to use them expect them to be it ain't about them you a leader gives the people what they need not what they want so this whole let's do it for clicks movement is is playing right into the hands of the of the, of the enemy let me ask you a question and mm -hmm. this is a very sincere question and i really want your insight on this um sure. i watched uh, a spin amongst the right happen where they're ready towards black people. Um, it seems like criticism of black people now holds currency in the neocon movement. Um, I think Jason capitalizes off of this currency as well. Um, yeah. What's happening here? I, I, is this a psychological thing? Is this a grift? W why is it like now cool to just criticize black people Nonstop, like what what me and Uncle was talking about. We were like, yo, the Palestine Israel conflict, you know, was kind of like a breather. It gave us a minute to breathe because the neocons had their foot on black people's necks for like yeah. all year. Just criticize black men, criticize black people. They loot in and all this other stuff. Let, let, let me tell you that this is a good part of the neocon. The neocon is we believe in the Constitution. We believe in America's foundational values. We believe in conservatism. We believe in republicanism. We believe in small government, but we want to be big in the government where we want to be big. And we want to be big in military because America's number one export is our dollar. And our number one justification to take our military there and serve the national interest, which is the currency itself, but then it becomes the military, is the arms that we supply to the entire world. And, and, and when you look at it, I don't want to go on a tangent, but just, I'm trying to explain how this neocon thing that you're talking about happens. Okay. We live in a reverse vassal empire. Any vassal empire in history, the smaller country pays, pays tribute to the bigger country in, in exchange for protection. We pay everybody else to protect them. And you ask yourself, how did this happen? Well, when we went to a fiat currency 
and we and we had this United Nations as a cover for international peacekeeping. Originally, the we, League of Nations. Yeah, the originally League of Nations. We started to recruit nations to carry our dollar, the reserve currency, and then recruit nations to carry our protection for that dollar. Right. Mm -hmm. So now we well we're basically using nations like Israel as, and this is why I caution the Jews uh, and anybody else alike to uh, understand how they're being used. Yeah. America ain't got no love for Israel. The, 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 the love for Israel ain't based on no biblical uh, tradition. The love for Israel is based on military supremacy and economic Ponzi scheme that gets siphoned off and watered down to Christians all across the country as a biblical tradition, as oh, a biblical a alliance, oh, right? That ain't what it brother. is, right? Israel is, a sat Israel is a shell corp for the military-industrial complex. That's what they're doing. And it's not just Israel. It's Egypt. It's the one who borders the same country that they're saying is letting the, the, the rockets through to Gaza. It's Egypt is a shell corp. It's Saudi Arabia is a shell corp. It's the Ukraine is a shell corp. It's the entire European Union are shell corps. They're all shell corporations to justify passing unlimited money through a military industrial complex budget. And it's $2 trillion a year, maybe three. People don't understand how much money that is because they've, they've, um, they've desensitized the American mind to hear a trillion dollars with the budget and just go, oh, that's, yeah, just another day at the office. If you stack a million dollars up in $100 bills, it's as tall as a table chair. If you stack a billion dollars, it's as tall as the tallest building. A trillion dollars would reach the space station. Three trillion dollars. They're running every year. And it always makes do. So you ask me why black people? Because their pitch to middle white America, the boomers is, we believe in the Second Amendment as a talking point. But we don't really want you to believe that that's the sole source of your freedom, of your sovereignty. Say that one more the time. Soul, they're selling to the boomers the white middle-aged boomers, that the sole source of their freedom is not the Second Amendment, it's our military supremacy. Mm. So that's why black people become the, the, the focus of, of, their, of their rhetoric, right? Because a simple answer for white boomer America, respectfully, is, yeah, black people are getting a little violent in certain places in the country. It's a little out of control. We got a little cultural decadence. Nobody with any sense would disagree with that. Certainly not me. But if you have such a problem with it, if you're so scared of young black men or radical Muslims or trans activists or, or whoever the next shooter, bomber, drive-by is going to be, go get you a gun. But do the rhino neocons really believe in, in individual firearms? No, they don't. They just talk about it. What they're really telling the Americans is, if you don't give us your tax money, you're a danger. Not only are you in danger abroad, but you're in danger at home. And who's the lowest rung of the military-industrial complex? The police. Yeah. After 9-11, who started to train the police? IDF. Okay. Two trilly. We got to get our two trilly. <laughs> and I'm so, wrong for saying that Derek Chauvin was, was out of bounds for kneeling on a man's back, neck, side, shoulder, clavicle whatever you want to call it, I'm wrong for saying that this is the misuse of, of force and, and police and militarization of police that's going to come down to bear on all you, all you people, white, black, yellow, or, or, or indifferent. And it will. And guess who, the, guess who the prime example of that is right now today? Hmm. The prime example today of the, the fallout from George Floyd 
in an out-of-control federal government is Donald J. Trump. Donald J. Trump is the fallout of a government that's gone too far and has no fear of the people. It ain't about black and white. That's another cover story. It's about Arabs versus, you know, versus white people, or it's about the Chinese versus, I mean, the Russians versus the, come on, guys. This is about money and power and people who are smart enough to lull you to sleep while they steal your money, and they tell you, and, and they make you beg for it. They make you beg for them to steal from you so they can protect you. That's what this is about. That's the neocon. So let me try to summarize, and you tell me if I'm on the right track here. So basically what happens is the neocons push the anti-black rhetoric to make black men look like enemies at home to create fear within a neocon, which then sends their taxpayer and then votes to the neocon Republicans who then empower the military-industrial complex and strip away rights from Americans. Is that about right? Right. No, the whole thing is they can ratchet up the fear with white boomers and tell them that that the sole source of their conservatism or their political worldview is not rooted in actual American foundational principles like the Second Amendment, that it's actually more rooted in our military supremacy, our foreign interventionism, our, 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 our ability to, to suppress ulterior... Like, for example, here's the neocon rhetoric right now, that it's Marxism. The reason why you see young black men stealing from the department stores is Marxism yeah. or it's communism yeah. or it's or it's or it's radical Islam. Yeah. And they're all connected. And so that ideology being imported into our black communities. Now, that's why or the Marxists de deteriorating the black family through the academic institutions or social welfare. That's why your black men are, are a threat to you. So if we just go there and stop the Marxism or whatever ideology. Now you'll start to see you know, the, 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 um, the, the, the fruit at home of, of that interventionist policy, right? We have to stop radical Islam. Why do we need to stop radical Islam? That's a European problem. This all goes back to the Atlantic charter and this idea that we're Atlanticists and the neocons are, are devout Atlanticists, that we're European, the English Commonwealth, the English common, uh, you know, the five eyes, Right. The international uh, information sharing, uh, uh, you know, secret security uh, organization with Canada and the UK and the United States and Australia and New Zealand. You know, all all, uh, uh, you know, common interest through common language, the English Commonwealth. Ain't nothing, we ain't got nothing in common with y'all. We're not European. And, and what I try to tell Jason, I tell his fans and then he'll go, oh, that's too hard to follow. It's not hard to follow. We defected from the crown. They never really got over it because the British are pompous as hell and, and they have their own beliefs about their own supremacy. And after World War II, Churchill goes to uh, Roosevelt and says, we need help to stop the Germans. The Germans are out of control. Who got their fundamental ideology from the British intellectuals, might I add. Darwinism and social Darwinism that became eugenics and race theory came from the, the crown's intellectuals. It wasn't a Germany, a German-based. Uh, now you could say the people from Germany became the leadership in the crown, but there's a relationship there. Okay, the Germans are out of control. We need help to to, to stop the Germans. These people got you know they're, they're taking it too far, right? We, you know, we gave them the ideology. Now they're going a little too far with it, right? And so and so Roosevelt tells them, yeah, we'll help you, but in exchange, you got to relinquish your co colonial empire. Basically, we'll take over from here, where you were doing the vassal state. We're going to now do the reverse vassal state. 
and the the Federal Reserve came into in America came into existence right before World War One, and then World War Two, and then you had the culmination of restructuring the monetary policy that allowed for reverse vassalism, where we pay you to come protect you so we can run our military up, right? So when the Crown did that, they sent their intellectuals into our universities. That's what they did. The British are smarter than us. We were a young nation. The sun never sets on the British Empire. They said, hey, we got to deal with an inter- with a continental threat here with Germany. We need America. We need this alliance or else we're not going to survive this. That's okay. We'll take the L now. We'll send our intellectuals into America's institutions, and America will be effectively become British and will serve, and they will defend the foreign policy of the British. And we've been doing it since then. Our foreign policy is not our own. It's the foreign policy of the British. Who, who, who is harmed if China rises, really? Who is harmed if Russia rises, really? Who was uh, uh, harmed if Germany rises, really? Or the, or the Arabs, or the, the Turks, or, or the Persians? That's all a European problem. That's a European problem. That ain't got nothing to do with us. Oh, and this goes, back, this goes back to McKinder's land theory. How for John McKinder was a British intellectual who was, who was commissioned by the Crown to investigate geopolitical theory, uh, and he wrote a paper addressed to the Crown telling them that naval supremacy powers, that naval powers would become obsolete as ground transportation and air transportation evolved, right? As the cars and planes and trains and things got better, being solely a naval power was going to be obsolete. And so he made this, this he created this theory that, that Eastern Europe was the key to the heartland, which is the Ukraine, and that the Ukraine, the, the heartland, was the key to dominating, was the springboard to global dominance of the Eurasian landmass. Now, let me show you how, let me show you how, um, how slick the British are. Okay. It's really the Afro-Eurasian landmass, but hey, the Africans aren't real people, so let's leave Africa out of the whole abbreviation. It's the Eurasian landmass. And white people do seem to have a strange affection with the Asians and the Chinese. I'm just saying. Look at the party of Davos. They all want to go China-centric. It's strange. So McKinder says, if we let Germany rise up, they're so close to the heartland, they will take the heartland and control the Eurasian landmass. If we let a Russian-German alliance come together, this was before World War I now. Right. This is, this is before Hitler ever even rose up in the deal. Yeah. If we let Germany and Russia come together, they will be the springboard to a Eurasian landmass. If we let a Sino-Russo, a, an Asian-Russian alliance come together, it will be the springboard to the Eurasian landmass. So this whole theory laid out how Great Britain has to maintain its supremacy over the Eurasian landmass. And what have we been fighting this whole time? We're fighting China. We're fighting Russia. We're fighting the Iranians. We're fighting, we're fighting the, you know, the Palestinians. We're fighting who, whoever it is. It's all service to keep the Europeans from having to fight their own wars. And the European Union became subject to the, the great, the European Union is the new reconstructed um, um, bubble of the British Empire, right? Yes. So, you know, we are servicing the British still to this day. And, and what the, and my, my point is, and I think one of the most profound aspects of Donald Trump's presidency was his intuition that our NATO deal was not right, that there was something wrong with our NATO deal. And, and that intuition was, yes, the Eurasian landmass has, the, the Afro-Eurasian landmass, excuse me, 
has 50% of the world's resources, but where's the other 50? Right here in the Western Hemisphere. So again, Europe was worried that their resources would become dominated by a foreign power. And so here we are. And my whole point is, bring our boys home. Bring our boys home. We're not sending our sons and daughters. We're not sending our money. We're not going to put our children in debt in perpetuity for generations to defend the British Empire. Let the British Empire fight for themselves. We revolted. We separated from these people. We divorced from these people. We should not be uh, on the verge of collapsing our own nation in the interest of an empire that already gave their security a telecommunication system to the CCP. Let me, let's pause. Let's put a bookmark right there. We're going to come right back. Um, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, if this is your first time here, nothing but get, truth gets told on this channel. Subscribe, hit that subscribe button and hit the like button. Shout out to Kay. Kay sent you some love. Uh, she said, you got this fan clean up soda. Proud of you. Uh, Hotep CPA said, Hotep Jesus, please create Hotepistan. Hotepistan coming soon. Bonzi gifted five memberships. Thank you. Um, so the neocon rhetoric around black people and targeting black people, that's not rooted in racism? Uh, well, yeah, of course it is. Okay. <laughs> no, absolutely it is. Mm. I mean, but but it's not just racism. It, right. It's, 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 look, the Darwin, the, the scam here is that, you know, the, we're, we're in a war of isms, right? We're in a war of isms, whether it's Darwinism, it's social Darwinism, it's communism, Marxism, socialism. Uh, you know, what fascism, I mean, all these, all these, you know, kind of uh, esoteric philosophical terms, right, about what we're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, look, the easiest way to organize yourself is with with other people who look like you, right? I mean, that's just, that's, there's something natural about that. What Christianity did, Jesus Christ, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, said that faith is a better organizing principle than skin color. A lot of these neocons are about as Christian as they are American. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, the Darwinism, and this is my criticism of the Nick Fuentes types. If Darwinism is, if race is, your, and, and guess what? Not only are the not the Nazis were ethno-national. Who else is a very explicit ethno-national state in the in the in the world? I ain't saying nothing. You got that one. <laughs> is Israel. Israel is a very ethno-national state. I don't know why we, you know, you, you, we can we can say it. <laughs> They're explicitly ethno-national. They're not the only ones. The Russians, the Iranians, the Argenti Chinese. Argentinians. There's a lot of ethno-nationalism out there on the world stage. And for some reason, our intellectual elites want us to believe in, in this idea that we're fighting a global war for democracy and freedom and inclusion. Yeah. But we're protecting countries that are racist. Mm. And so this is, and this is the real, this is the, look, nobody's saying that the Nazis or the Germans weren't racist or evil or, or anything. And I'm not making a false equivalency between Germany and Israel. But what I'm saying is there is, there is a sort of cultural norm where you can't talk about the ethno-nationalism of Israel. Mm. So, and, and this is where the left, again, whether it's Satan or whether these people are actually in on it, what does it service? In the Palestinian argument, the left, and the, I, I was watching uh, Patrick Beck David because I went on his show before. I was watching Patrick Beck David's podcast the other day, and I found myself in the strange twilight of agreeing with Anna Kasparian, <laughs> of all people. Mm. I just, 
I mean, I, it was like I was living in the twilight zone. I, I couldn't even come to grips with the fact that I was actually agreeing with what she says. Because I disagree with her on so many things, it's, it's actually scary. It keeps me up one night how much I disagree with the leftists and, and radical feminist white women in this country. It actually, it's actually scary. Because I know I could be the victim of, of, of erroneous uh, rape allegations at, a, at the drop of a hat, right? But when she was talking about Palestine, I understood how we are being sandbagged in, in terms of our What was our the argument they were having? The, well, the argument, the argument was about Palestine and Israel, but here's the point that she made. And this is a great point to make, because a lot of the Israeli officials will point to the Arab world and say, why aren't these Arab countries taking the Arabs? What? Why aren't you taking them? <laughs> and, and, that's the, the, and that's the easy way to debunk. And what they're doing, they're not even, this ain't even about the Palestinians in that sense. The Palestine-Israel argument becomes a proxy for domestic politics. Because what the leftists are doing is they're saying, hey, if, you, if, you, if you're worried about the Palestinians in any humanitarian sense, why don't you let them come into your country? Because you don't have any diversity, equity, and inclusion in your worldview. And that's actually true of the Israelis. Although they do well at the same time, this is how the, the, the pendulum swings both ways. They also do well to never show you how many African Jews actually live in Israel. The American image of Israel and Jews, which often gets conflated by the Hebrew Israelites and Muslims, and you know, so many people who are anti-Israel, so to speak. I'm not saying they're really, but they're 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 they criticize Israel. Um, they never show the American people just how many African Jews live in Israel. I mean, the whole narrative on the flip side is like from black people, the Hebrew Israelites, they'll say, um, you know. These people aren't the real Jews. They picked up the faith. They picked up the faith in Europe, and they're the fake Jews. Well, first of all, our faith tradition, Judaism, Christianity, whatever, this faith tradition is voluntary submission to God. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So if you're telling me that these European picked up this faith and somewhere you lost it, that means some of your people must have been sell out, sold out or they or they had the faith beat out of them. Yep. Right? I yep. mean, that's just that's just first principles logic. Mm -hmm. somewhere in there, we forgot our history and our culture and our, and our roots. It was either beaten out of us or we gave up the faith and they decided to pick it up. That can't be an indictment of them. So to say the Jews that relocated back to Israel are fake Jews, the only reason you can call them fake is because they make a biblical claim to the land like Bibi Netanyahu did over the last couple of days. And he comes out and he speaks Hebrew and he references Isaiah. But a lot of them don't believe in God, let alone the Bible. So, you know, this is how the narrative actually builds like a crescendo of misinformation. This is what the CIA bragged about being able to do. Mm. We can make everything so confusing, it'd be hard for you to actually figure out what's going on. And Jason Whitlock wants to tell me that I'm speaking over people's head. No, we need three, three times a week where we can just start to give people the foundations so they're not coming to get politics with French fries. They're not coming to hear another story about how another black man was caught with a dress or another teacher, you know, is, is, is shilling for the LGBTQ. That already looks ridiculous to most of us. Let's actually get to how they're really scamming us, but you can't do that, right? Because you can't mention Mark Levin's name. Mm. You, real, you feel them? Now you feel me? Yeah. You, you can't mention his name, right? This is my friend. This is my friend who I've spoken to three times in my entire life. What a special regard you have for this man. 
what a special regard you have for a man who you you barely know. Mm. And you talking to the guy who you mentoring. Why, why who, is why is the African Jewish population important to mention when we bring up Israel? Because the entire mainstream media image of of Israel and Jewish identity is a is a European Jewish uh, image. And, is, and, are, it, and it, are, are they treated the same as other Israelis? Oh no, that you're talking to the guy who defected from the NBA. Don't ne never forget the most significant thing that was said in sp Jason's very he he done covered it. We don't go back and cover the sick. This is what I hate. Stop headline chasing. Let's go back and pinpoint the significant moments throughout sports history that had political relevance, that had spiritual relevance, because there's a bunch of them. And this one is maybe the most significant, especially as it pertains to today, but maybe in general, Donald Sterling. Everybody took the headline from what happened with Donald Sterling, and they made it a black-white thing. They made it like it was the white man who was racist. Donald Sterling's Jewish. And yeah, he's European Jewish, but his identity, his self-proclaimed identity was Jewish in Israel. And in the recordings, his girlfriend asked him, what, you know, isn't there some similarity? Because she, you know, she has that woke Marxist kind of mainstream media narrative going in her head. So she was saying, ain't there a similarity between Jews and blacks, right? With oppression and slavery and racism and bop, 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 bop. And he goes, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? There's no, there's no similarities. Like he laughed at it, he scoffed at it. And then she goes on to say, well, what about like, she was like, you know, there's black people in Israel. And he stops her and goes, even in it, there's always been black and white and there always will be. Even in Israel, there's black Jews and there's white Jews and the black Jews are treated like dogs. This is in the recordings of the Donald Sterling situation. Did that part of the conversation ever make it to a mainstream headline? I'm going to say no. Never once. It was never even referenced. Go back. I invite anybody here to go back and Google the Donald Sterling situation. Just a quick Google, just Donald Sterling racism. There will not be a headline that says anything about his Jewish remarks. Now, if you put in Jewish, you might find it. But when they're trying to fence Donald Sterling as a white versus black thing, right? My point in bringing it up is Times of Israel. Um, I'm really good at Google though. So, um, right. Did you have to put in an extra word other than Donald Sterling? I did. I, I put okay. in the word dogs. Um, yeah, okay. There you go. Clippers owner, black Jews treated like dogs in Israel times of Israel.com. That's the Israeli newspaper. That's the Israeli newspaper. Yeah. I mean, you know, and so, and so my point is, I mean, come on, black Jews treated like dogs. And, and my point is, in saying that is this, she went on to ask him, um, well, are the black Jews less than the white Jews? And he said, yeah, 50% less. Mm. So he was basically saying the Jewish part of them is, is 100. The black part of them is 50% less. Mm. I mean, the idea that European Jews are LARPing for social Darwinist or Darwinist race theory blows my mind to begin with. But you got to go back to the history to know why that makes sense. And this is what I said on Jason's show, and this really might have ruffled some feathers that Marxism and Zionism are from the same intellectual tradition. That Moses Hess was an early communist and Zionist thinker. Moses Hess was one of the, was he was right there with Marx and Hegel. 
And he was a communist thinker, but then he became a Zionist thinker. And guess what his theory was? What? Oh, wages and resources isn't the bottom line of the organization of society and politics. That's not what we really need to be focused on. There's a racial and national component to this. There's a racial and national component to politics and the organization of, of society. And so the Zionist movement, he was on record saying, for all my people who say Palestine doesn't exist, Moses Hess, who was a forefather of the Zionist movement well before Israel was, was instituted, said that he wished to establish a Jewish socialist commonwealth in Palestine. Socialist. Socialist. The Nazis were the National Socialist Party. These were two worker movements. And this is how the genuine claim that the mainstream, that the Jewish lobby or the Israeli lobby has tilted the narrative away from being able to talk about this with a full throat. And as an American black man, I just say to myself, there ain't nobody out there who I can't talk about with a full throat. Huh? Who you? I don't, I don't, I don't respect it. And it don't matter who you is. You could be black, you could be white, you could be Jewish, you could be Chinese. It don't matter. I'm going to talk about everything with a full throat because why not? All, worst you could do is kill me, right? Or try and assassinate my character like Jason Whitlock is trying to do. But, but the point is... Um, the Nazi movement and the Zionist movement were both were both socialist worker movements. The difference is, the, and the only different the, the only difference is that the Marxist movement was a socialist worker workers movement. The Marxist movement had ideas well beyond borders. They wanted a society based on wages and resources that created a communist egalitarian utopia that spread as far as society was was bound right all around the world. That was there from the beginning for them. The Zionist movement only difference is that they were ethno-national. So my, my, going back to your point about the, are the blacks treated different? Absolutely, because the Jews adopted a, a, an ideological, an intellectual tradition from Europe that prioritized race before faith. Oh, this is a real hotel, brother. Quick question. In regards mm -hmm. to the Jason Whitlock thing, I just want to cover that really fast. Who made yeah. the call to to to? Because me and Uncle Hotep debated this last night on our Patreon show, patreoncom been told you for Hotep's been told you 2.0. We debated this last night, and we said, you know, who made the call to um, end the relationship between you and Fearless? Was it the white massa, or did Jason make that call? Oh, Jason didn't call me. Oh, you mean who do I think made the call? Who made the decision? Yeah, who made the decision to cancel you from the show? Do you, you think know, that, that's, that's an interesting... I mean, you know, Jason has people behind the scenes that work on the show with him. Who knows who influences them? I don't know all of the CEOs at The Blaze, like the people who actually run the company. Mm. I know Glenn Beck is a, is, a, is, a, is a higher up over there, obviously. He was one of the founders, so he's probably got some sway or some say or some stock. I know Mark Levin was an initial founder and, and, and at one point was the owner of a merged company. Uh, so he probably had some sway and some say and some stock and there might be other people. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure how the whole, how the whole uh, dynamic worked inside the company. Cause I'm not, look, I don't work for these dudes. Right. <laughs> I don't work for the blaze. I, I, I was a contributor for free. Mm. I never once took any money to be on fearless. I never once took any money to be on war room with Bannon or Infowars with Alex Jones. That's not my deal. I don't do this for money. This is a passion. I'm, I'm a genuine freedom fighter, right? I'm a genuine, you know, a, American patriot. I don't do it for the, for the dollars. 
So I don't know how they how they get down inside the company. I know about Fearless's little nucleus mm. with the people who are on the show and the producer. Yeah. Um, and you know, maybe they went to him and said, This is what we should do, this is, you know, or not. Or maybe Jason guess? just made that decision. What's my guess? guess is, my guess would be at this point that that somebody made the call. Mm. Somebody other than that, Jason. Yeah. Yeah, no, they called him and said. Actually, you know what, you know, and, and I and I say this respectfully and I'm not trying to, you know, I, I don't preclude miracles. I pray for people and, and I hope that people can continue to move forward and nobody's in a fixed position. You, me, anybody. Only person in a fixed position is God and Christ. Everybody else is, is fluid, right? So you could be in one place tomorrow, repent, change your ways, be in another place tomorrow. That was the, that was the great apostle Paul, right? He was a blasphemer. He didn't believe in, in God. He only knew about Jesus and met him on the road to Damascus. Then he became the biggest evangelist of the, of the Christian faith in, in many respects. So I'm, you're not in a fixed position, uh, and nobody is, but neither is Jason. But the way he's acting right now, the way he's showing his ass right now, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't shock me if he called them. He said that on his show. He said they didn't even know about what had happened with Royce. I called them. He, he called, called them. He called yeah, Massa. He, he called them. Mm. And that wouldn't shock me with the way he's talking. You know, and this whole thing, like Royce voted for Biden and Kamala, I already told this story before where we had people doing social media. I don't need to go back and delete tweets, but we want people, we want people to come from the Democrat plantation. We want people to come from atheism to, to, to faith in God and submission to God. That's what we want. That's why we're doing this work. I don't know what Jason's game is, but now that I'm hearing him talk, he thinks he's like exposing me. You yeah. only exposing me to the Ron DeSanctimonious crowd, the rhinos, the neocons, the pe the other black folks who who you know get off on on baby food for black folks. Mm. Whoever's in the crowd that that you know when a Hotep or Royce come on and we want to talk about deep issues, they go, "I'm not here for that." You know, give me more Ben Simmons. You know, let's talk about how bad Ben Simmons has been. You know, over the last you know whatever they talk about. Let's yeah. talk about Jada Pinkett. I don't got no problem talking about Jada, but you know, come on, it's World War Three, so. The way Jason acting right now it wouldn't surprise me if if he made the call to them and if he's preemptively serving it the same way he stopped me on the show. Mm. Mark Levin didn't call. Look, let me. I'm gonna keep it a buck. When I didn't say Mark Levin is calling Jason directly, I never I never made that claim. I called his name. I called him out for what he said about Matt Gates. Mm. I never said Mark. Le I had a personal problem with Mark Levin. I don't know Mark Levin. I know it's tight. I know he covered up. Uh, uh, I know he covered up CIA brokered crack deals that hit every black community in America. I know mm. that for a fact. Yeah, that's on the record, declassified. Go look it up. If you like your politics with French fries, you probably can't listen to a guy like me because I don't do baby food for black folks. I do full meals over here. Full pause. meals. <laughs> pause. Major pause. But I do full meals for black folks. I don't feed them baby food. I don't feed them baby food with politics because we already had 60 years where our black thought leaders, uh, you know, penny pinched us when it comes to the politics and the intellectualism. Right. So I don't do that. My point, Jason. Jason told me to stop saying Mark's name, mm. which sent my which sends red flags up in my head. And it wasn't even I knew why he was doing it. I was I wasn't even tripping off of that where he was like, yo, I know Mark. You know, that's my friend. He's been good to me. You know, let's just not, you know, be saying his name like that. I was like, okay, cool. I don't need to use Mark's name specifically because there's a whole movement of neocons. I could pick one. Yeah. I, 
you know, you could just pick one out. I don't need to use his name. Mm. It's just that he was the loudest one going after Matt Gates. Right. So then when I went home and watched the episode and it was cut out, I was like, damn, big bro ain't never cut one of my segments and not at least called me, gave me the heads up. Like, Hey, we, we, you know, we did this, we did that. Just so you know, mm. you know, so you ain't thinking what happened. I mean, what kind of censorship is that? You censoring me for Mark Levin? You feel me? So now, then I, then over the, like I said, over the next week or so, I'm sending big bro stuff, material. Mm-hmm. Look at your boy, Mark Levin. This is the, this is the lineage of Mark Levin. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about black folks. You want to talk about, listen, you want to talk about black folks being downtrodden in the country for the neocons, black on black crime, drugs, fatherlessness, what had more impact on the black community in America than the crack wave? I can't think What of devastated idea. the black community? Yeah, you could say welfare. Okay, welfare. That's probably one of them too. The loss of faith. Yeah, but you know, those are very esoteric terms. What concrete, systematic, corrupt policies had an extremely devastating impact on the black community? I don't think it was, the dr- was worse than crack. Nothing was worse than crack. If if you grew up in a neighborhood where you knew some crackheads, now if you come from a neighborhood and you ain't never seen no crackheads, you probably wouldn't understand that zombie effect. Right. You know, but I come from a real neighborhood. So, you know, it's I, I understand what the crack wave did. I lost family um, members to the crack wave. Two you of feel them. me? Yeah. You feel me? You know, hard, horrible, dark stuff. So you're going out talking about black people and how downtrodden they are, but you're missing. And then you're telling me I can't say Mark's name. And he was involved in one of the biggest scandals in American history that pumped cocaine and crack into black communities. Oh, hold on, bro. Hold up, bro. I and and even in all of that happening, did I go to my podcast on last Thursday night and say Jason Whitlock's a sellout? He's a fraud. No, don't don't listen that. to him. Don't subscribe to him. No, no I, I gave him that. love. I gave him love. I uplifted him. I said, bro, I'm just trying to show you what it really is. You may not even know about these people, bah, bah, bah. You know, let's go higher. Let's stop baby food for black folks. Let's give them the real truth. And and let's just take, take this stuff to the next level. Right. And all of a sudden he comes back and says, you know, that I'm, that I'm just trying, I'm just looking for attention for my podcast. Come on, bro. I mean, I don't know who made the call, but I don't think that's it. I think you just care about the situation and, and what people need to hear. That's the but they use that against us, bro. That They use that against us. Like, when you find a guy like me who's militant, who knows his stuff, who's going to get passionate, who's going to get loud, who's going to rant for, I don't know, an hour and a half now we've been on, and, and you know, I'm stringing, I'm stringing it together, I'm stringing the history. Like an Alex Jones, it's easy for them to say, this dude is just crazy. Yeah. That's why my podcast is, please call me crazy. Right. Call me crazy. But how else could an Alex Jones explain to people half of what he's forgotten in the time that he needs to before they take the president off the ballot. Mm. I mean, he's been screaming red alert for 25 years and the Jason Whitlocks were alive. They were around. You're talking about my tweet from 20, from, from 2020 with Biden and Kamala Harris or, or whatever that is. You were around when Alex Jones and them first popped on the scene. What were you doing? Oh, you was writing for the Kansas city uh, sports section. And you want to talk about politics now with me and do a purity test on me? When I came into the public square, when I came on the scene, the first thing I did was challenge the NBA. What is I that said story? the NBA. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you the cliff notes. All right. In college and I, at, at Iowa State, 
first I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder, which Jason tried to, you know, besmirch me with anxiety, depression, like it's not one of the most common things in our society. First, I know you have a certain lack of philosophical understanding when you don't realize that the human traits of angst and despair are emergent. And that's actually the brilliance of Christianity in faith and submission to God is it solves the, the emergent quality of angst and despair, angst leading to anxiety, despair leading to depression. You ain't even thinking all them terms. You, you way out past the buoy, big bro, with me. You way out the waters out here. There ain't a, there ain't a person in sight. There ain't a rowboat for miles out here. Boy, you got to be able to tread water where I'm, where I'm swimming at. For real. I was diagnosed with anxiety at 16 years old. Okay. I lived with it. I worked through it. Didn't really know what it was. Was on medication. You know, tried to find different coping mechanisms. Never really gotten, ne never got involved with drugs other than the ones that were prescribed to me for to, to deal with anxiety. By the time I was 18, 19, 20, I arrived at Iowa State. I was dealing with anxiety still, but I had really mastered how to cope with it and deal with it, right? Uh, to the point where I was still having great success as a basketball player. I was the only player to lead my team in all five major statistical categories my year at Iowa State. So I led in points, blocks, uh, steals, assists, and rebounds. Only person in the country to do that. Draymond Green was a close second. He led in four categories. I led in five. Um, shout out to Draymond Green. He gave me props uh, a couple months back on the Paul George podcast and said, had I not been blackballed, you know, he said it without saying it, but had I not been blackballed, I'd still be an elite all-star talent right now. I really, I really appreciate and respect that. Mm. Doesn't mean I agree with everything Draymond says, right. but, you know, it's, it's all love. We Midwest boys, you know, I got love for my Michigan guys. Um, so anyway, when I came out, of, of uh, Iowa State, I had spoken publicly about my anxiety, right? Uh, it became a very big story of that draft. And the, 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 the consensus was that nobody knew what my range was going to be, my draft stock, because mental health was such a new topic that there had never been a situation where a player was so skilled and NBA ready, but dealt with this thing that they didn't know whether to, to, to see as a character issue or as a genuine health issue, right? Um, so that was my entry into the NBA. I got drafted 16th to the Houston Rockets and me and the Rockets right away on day one. I go in not on day one, but in early on in the first couple of months, I go in and I look at my collective bargaining agreement and there's not a single mention of mental health in the entire collective bargaining agreement. Not one minute. The term ain't mentioned at all, but there's a, there's a banned substance list that has marijuana and cocaine and illicit drugs and class this and class that and listed on it is my anti-anxiety medicine, Xanax, which is a very, very dangerous medicine, benzodiazepines, right? Xanax, Ativan, Valium, that whole class of drugs. So dangerous that, you know, it's like Jordan Peterson recently had a problem with this. Benzodiazepines are so dangerous that if you go off them cold turkey, they're one of the few drugs you can die from, from, from going off cold turkey. Hmm. There's, there's one other, it's alcohol. Because what alcohol does and Xanax does is it, it hijacks the central nervous system and it calms it down so you don't have that fight or flight response, right? It's a sedative, right? Well, if you go off at cold turkey, your brain, your, 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 your neurological system, your central nervous system goes haywire, you'll have seizures, you can die. Mm. If you have a seizure, you could die, even if it's benign for no reason, because seizures are dangerous. The brain tells the body how to function, right? Um, so the benzos are on the, the banned substance list. I go to the NBA and say, hold on, you got a banned substance list but there's nothing about mental health. So how do I reconcile the two in dealing with y'all from a contractual standpoint? I'm prescribed this drug. I know you're going to say I can use it because I'm prescribed it, but what about the implications of it? 
right? And at the time, I didn't like flying. You know, I was like, you know, let me drive to all the games I can drive to. If we're in Chicago and we play in Minneapolis the next day, six-hour drive, just let me hit after the shower, get, in the, get on the road, and I'll be there in six hours. Y'all ain't going to be practicing or playing to the next day anyway at best, worst-case scenario. Might be two days from now. Might be four days from now. I don't, you know, you don't know. Uh, and a lot of the NBA is regional-based from a time where travel wasn't as, as sophisticated, right? That's why you got the Upper Eastern Corridor, you got the Southeast, you got the Midwest, you got the South Texas, that the Pelicans, the San Antonio, Houston, and then you got the West Coast, right? And they still do their schedule on those regions. NBA was like, no, you want too much, you want special treatment. I said, I want special treatment to be able to drive instead of take a first-class chartered flight that's fully catered? You know, them, this was them telling the young black man, stay in your place. Mm. This was, the, this was the, the, the Jewish constabulary in the NBA's hierarchy telling the young black man, you're only here for hire. You don't get to have ideas. You know, you, you don't get to have... So I took offense to it, and uh, essentially we got into a, you know, a, a debate, you know, kind of kind of standoff about, about this policy, which was really my introduction into policy, right? Is, is this was a policy debate. Uh, and, and essentially their, their final verdict was, yeah, mental health is a, is a worthy cause. It's, it's a great cause. You could do well for it. You're young, charismatic, good looking, you're articulate. You know, you could really, you could really take this somewhere, right? And we could help you, but who's going to care if you don't play? So from the earliest days of my adult life, my, my time on the public stage, I've had people threaten to cut my microphone off because I talk about complex issues like policy, right? We don't want to talk about policy. All these people talk politics, but they never really talk policy, mm. right? We all, you know, so that's where a lot of my passion and animus comes for a situation like this with Jason or anybody who would, oh, don't talk over people's heads. No, no, no. You don't realize that's the root of the scam. So after I had that fight with them, they kind of kicked me to the curb. I couldn't even get a tryout. We got NBA players right now who have violent felonies, who have uh, um, drug habits on record, uh, uh, very severe drug habits, you know, real personality and behavior problems. N not like, not like uh, you know, he's not good teammate to practice with. He's kind of selfish. He likes to shoot too much. Not like that. Mm. I'm talking like every time Buddy seems to go out, he's always punching somebody, mm. right? Like gets drunk, can't handle his liquor, and he's punching somebody, which is also kind of in the realm of mental health, but so we got all those kinds of, of, of resumes in the NBA. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't even let me get a tryout. Mm. They wouldn't even invite me to training camp. And in this kid situation, a guy just like Mark Levin, named David Stern, did the same thing to me that Mark Levin is going to try and do now. Blacklist me in the conservative movement. David Stern blacklisted me in the NBA community. Because David Stern came to me and he said, something very, very disparaging, something very disrespectful. I came to him, the late David Stern, rest in peace to him. I don't hold no grudges. I'm just telling the story how it is. I came to him during the dispute, and I said, listen, you're the commissioner of the league. The team has some questions or some, some, uh, some lack of clarity on how to interpret the collective bargaining agreement around an issue that is not listed in it. So we need you as the, chair, as the, as the, as the uh, commissioner of the league to go to whoever the powers that be are and come up with a ruling on how to interpret 
mental health within the collective bargaining agreement. And he told me, he just blew me off. Like, nah, stay off of Twitter. This ain't, this ain't a public issue. You going public and talking about it publicly just makes it worse. And I'll talk to your representation. See, I went to him personally. I didn't go through my agent and them. I emailed him and talked to him personally. Right. See, and that's a step too far already. Who that, are you to come talk to me personally? Yeah. I'll go through the middlemen, the brokers, which is, again, predominantly Jewish in the NBA, the agencies, the, rep the people who represent the players. It's a Jewish-run uh, industry, the representation. Well, they I mean, started. it's almost – absolutely. Yeah. So I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that there's a – relate. so when Jason wants to talk about the relationship between blacks and Jews, you know, in America – don't call me to talk about the low-hanging fruit because I got real skin in the game. I've been here with this, with, in, in this dynamic. I've mm -hmm. been wrestling fight with this for 10 years. And, and, and I'm not, look, I got many Jewish friends. Professor Penn's the only other podcast that is currently running on Free People Radio's uh, uh, network from our, from our network. Ukrainian Jewish man. I got many friends that, I, I grew up in Hopkins. I went to high school in Hopkins. It's one of the most Jewish communities in Minnesota. This ain't a Jewish thing. It's when some people take an identity and they misuse that identity to be able to, to, do, to do corrupt things. And it actually harms the people whose identity they're using. The same way if a black person goes out and kills 10 people in the name of black people or as a black man, whether you like it or not. If I, see a, if I know a black man just shot and killed, just, just basic principles, right? Black man shoots 10 people, which never really happens. Mass shooters are usually white, but I digress. Um, black man shoots 10 people. I live in the town. I see a black man. Am I naturally going to think, damn, a black man, you know, let's say he's at large, right? Just for hypothetical sake. I'm looking for a black man. I mean, so when you do things, that's why your parents are, I mean, old adages come play so valuable for our society and our culture. Represent your family and your mama and your parents the way that you, you know, the right way. And in, in this context, we're expanding it to race, and then you could expand it to, to, to nation or state or whatever, whatever enclave that you're representing, but you represent the people who have poured into you. Whatever you pour out is a representation, whatever you pour out in the world is a representation of what the, the, the community has poured into you. And so I understand how people get into groups and they start to have prejudice and bias. And I'm not saying anything about Jewish people writ large, because that's ridiculous. In fact, if there's one thing I'm so upset about, so frustrated with, so abhorred by, is that Bibi Netanyahu would use the Jewish identity or the Christian faith tradition to, to greenlight genocide in the name of God. It's not about the Jews. It's about him. It ain't about the Jewish neocons. It's about Mark Levin and, and, and other people like him. It's about the neocons. It ain't even about Jewish neocons. It's just about the neocons. Bush wasn't a Jew. <laughs> Right. So I'm equal opportunity. Colin Powell, another late Colin Powell, rest in peace. God bless the dead. But another neocon. Right. Condoleezza Rice, another neocon. Right. I mean, the Bush, the whole Bush administration and the tree from the Bush political tree, the, uh, the Bush political tree are neocons. Right. So it's not about any one group of people. It's just about people's actions and what they've done. Right. And so, you know, my my fight with the NBA was 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 ended on bad terms. And I said, look, I'm going to outlive some of y'all. I'm 21. I'm standing on righteousness early. And my question to Jason Whitlock, how dare you try and call my resume into question? 
You calling my resume into question? At 21, you at 21, you weren't even thinking about falling on no sword or bearing no cross like that. <laughs> you weren't even think you you didn't even have the chance. You didn't even have the athletic career that gave you the chance mm. to be offered a hundred million dollar bag to shut your mouth and take it. Mm. You weren't even good enough to do that as an athlete. The athletes who you criticize, who you say sell out for the establishment, I'm the counter narrative to that. I'm the athlete who came in and they offered me the money and I said, keep your money. I don't need it. Cause where I'm, where I come from, I ain't need, I didn't need a million dollars to have a woman I want. I need a million dollars to have a woman. I, I was dating a supermodel when I was 16. My girlfriend was two years older than me and she was already doing runway fashion in New York city, in Chicago, working for elite and Ford and big model. You know, I, I, I didn't need no, I didn't need no million dollars or no money or no, or no, uh, no VIP uh, access or suite to the court side to bring my side chick and my flings and, and impress my, my little social circle to have some status like the Donald Sterling's of the world. Rest in peace. God bless, you know, rest, you know, uh, you know, respect to Donald Sterling too. I don't know if he's still alive, but he was getting a little bit up there older, but you know, I didn't need that. So I was able to tell them from a place of righteousness, keep the money. And now you're going to call my, my integrity in the question, bro. And he knows this. That's what makes it crazy. When you look at what he said, you can tell, you and me, but, but people can tell that he's pandering the same way the liberal media is. This is, how they, this is how grimy really gets. What do we call it? The neocon, neoliberal world order. Jason Whitlock is servicing the same position that Mother Jones did. Mother Jones said the same thing about me when I ran for Congress against Ilhan. They said, who is this Black Lives Matter protester that's now working with Steve Bannon? You think that was to dis disen disenfranchise me with black folks? The real, the real Negroes that I grew up from, there ain't a thing that, the, that Mother Jones could say that could discredit me to other black folks because they know me. They don't even read Mother Jones. Right. That one for black folks. <laughs> right. <laughs> that one for black folks, and it wasn't even for white liberals because they're not going to vote for no Republican anyway. Right. Mother Jones wrote the article to paint me as a BLM plant to disenfranchise me to the MAGA movement because the most dangerous thing is that a black man rises up in the America first nationalist movement who they can't call a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. yep. And now Jason's doing, and now Jason's doing the same thing. It's almost like he said the exact same thing that mother Jones said. So where's your journalistic integrity? You a journalist. Mm. You sounded like mother Jones. You calling me a radical. Same thing. They called Matt Gates. Same thing. They called Donald Trump. Go listen to the episode last night, bro. The man had the audacity to use the term radical. Royce is a radical. Who said that? Jason Whitlock. He called you a radical? Oh, you didn't see the episode last night. Mm -mm. Go back and watch the episode. Jason <laughs> Whitlock said that Royce is a radical. Royce is a radical. He gets hung up on, he, he basically called me a conspiracy theorist. Oh, and oh, by the way, he really let the cat out of the bag when he said, I didn't even know Mark Levin. I'm not controlled by Mark Levin. And I, I'm getting the most anti-Semitic email. He said, I'm getting the most anti-Semitic emails. The man who called me on the podcast to talk about the Jewish influence in the NAACP in the controversial headlines of Dave Chappelle, Kyrie, and Kanye is telling me that I'm the source of anti-Semitic rhetoric? 
You called me to talk about the Jewish influence on the NAACP. I didn't call you to talk about that. I want to talk about Iran and Syria. Mm. So you draw me into a conversation, then I tell you the truth about the topic, and now on the flip side of the coin, you're going to say that you're receiving anti-Semitic emails like these are my followers or these are my loyalists? No, bro, they just see you tiptoeing and dancing around the conversation that they've watched you talk about in a certain way. Mm. Jason has made it a... a, a Jason has made it a cornerstone of the development and arc of Fearless to be one of the few black conservative commentators that will say the word Jewish at all. But who put him up on that? When I, before I came to Fearless, they weren't saying the word Jewish on the show. Back when Uncle Jimmy was, where's Uncle Jimmy at? Where, you know, they, they weren't saying the word Jewish when I came on the show. I came on and said, these are the anti-Jews. Stop calling them Jews. And they were like, what do you mean by anti-Jew? And there were people at the Blaze who didn't like that I used the term anti-Jew, but they couldn't argue with me on a fundamental basis. And when I came back on the show to explain it, not one of them would come down from on high to debate me on it because every Jewish person knows that the reason that the Jewish identity was not, was not, uh, um, was not destroyed in the charnel house of history, of world history, is one sole reason, that Hebrew Bible. Every Jewish person knows that the history of the Jewish cultural identity would not have survived if it wasn't for the passing along of the Bible in those traditions. So to claim an identity when you don't believe in the fundamental tenets and cornerstones of the identity is, a, in fact, a betrayal of the identity. It's a misuse of the identity. I can't say I'm an American, but I don't believe in the Constitution. So when I start talking like that, everybody gets real uncomfortable. Can I? And I'm not saying, yeah, go ahead. So those who say they are Jews, but not Jews, right? Yeah. Now the, the argument I get back is, well, there is, uh, this is about DNA and genetics. Darwinists. And a lot of black people got that wrong. And a lot of Christians got that wrong. And my Hebrew Israelite brothers, God bless them. I love where they're at. Mm -hmm. I love where they're coming. See, I told, and I told Jason, my podcast tonight, if you, if you get a chance, you can watch, please call me crazy tonight at 9 PM uh, on YouTube central time. But I told, I, I told, I told, uh, I told Jason tonight, uh, you know, I'm not about where people were. I'm about where people are and where they're headed. The trajectory of Christ and, and being saved salvation is a forward trajectory of, of, of the human existence. You reach salvation. You already have salvation when you submit to Christ, but everybody's life is an ebb and flow of, of falling away from God and coming back to God and trying to have that balance. I mean, that's just sensical, right? Uh, except for the 501c3 Christians who think you get baptized, and if you say you believe in Christ, then you're going to heaven. Mm. The Protestants that let the country get overrun by Satanists because we are a Protestant country, right? The Catholics are about 20%. The Protestants are about 50%. So, in fact, we're not just a Christian country. We're a Protestant country. And the Protestants seem to have that warping of, of, of their Christian, you know, spirit, right? It's like, all I have to do is say, I believe in Christ and I'm saved. Uh, no. Sorry, buddy. And, in fact, a lot of 501c3 Christians who also double as neocons talk about believing in Christ and then going and genociding the whole people in the name of Israel. <laughs> And you're going to heaven. You can run that on uh, on uh, Boo Boo the fool and them around the corner. Not 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 where I come from. Mm. Um, but I'm about where people are headed, not where they've been, where they are, and where they're headed. Mm. 
Mm. And so I love my Hebrew Israelite brothers. I think they're in the right place, right? But they get that wrong. They get the DNA piece wrong. As soon as you go to DNA, as soon as you talk about who are the real Jews and who, this is a voluntary submission to the faith, whether it's to God and Judaism or Allah or, 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 or Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm not making false equivalencies between the three faiths, but I'm just saying all three of them share their voluntary submission to God. There ain't no genetics a part of it. Christ said first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. That took the genetics off of it. Christ's ministry was actually just as much about uh, uh, deracializing, decentralizing the grace and love and charity of God for all men, right? And that was part of the reason why the, the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't like Christ, because they wanted it to be special for them. That's the, that's the real argument between Christians and Jews, is the Jews say, we're the chosen people to covenant with us. It ain't for everybody. Christ is a charlatan. He tried to come and expand the faith to everyone. It ain't for everyone. And, and, and in that, in the faith tradition of Abrahamic faith in Western society, and lies a little, a little uh, allegiance to racial, I, racial idolatry, like Jason Willock talks about, that then would lead to social Darwinism. And a lot of us accept it. Like DNA, bro, DNA with God. Come on, bro. What are we talking about? First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. It's scriptural. First for the Jew, whether you say the real Jews, the fake Jews, the chosen well, what ones. What if they the, say Ashkenazi? Because that's what shows up on the DNA yes, test. Yes, yeah, yes, the Ashkenazi Jews. Yes, if they picked up the faith tradition, it's an mm. indictment of us. Right. If they picked up the faith tradition and they carried it, and the only remnant of that identity is through them, currently, or, or at least in a major way, mm. uh, that's an indictment of us who gave up the faith somewhere along the lines. Mm. But that's not really the whole story because, again, like we said, there are African Jews who they never show you, mm. who, actually, who actually lend you a, an insight into a more, uh, a, a more real history of that faith tradition. Right. Ethiopian Jews, Algerian Jews, Moroccan Jews, Ju Jews from the Sudan. You know, that, that there, are, there are North African Jews and Ethiopian Jews, about 3 million that live in Israel right now. Never see their faces, though, do you? Not unless you dig. Right. You got to dig right. to really find them. Um, I, yep. No, what are you going to say? I don't like, the, I don't like, the, I don't like the, the Christian DNA thing. I don't like the 23 and me, my Christianity or my, or my, or my, Hebrew, uh, my Hebrew. You know, if you believe in a God, you submit to God, you submit to God. Now, what we don't like, what, we, what, what, what I think people are fighting back against with the Ashkenazi uh, Jewish identity is, again, is, 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 number one, there's a little bit of an animus towards black Jews, right? And that, that's exemplified in Donald Sterling's own testimony about the, the, cultural, the culture there in Israel. Yeah. Um, but, but also that they carry the identity without a real submission and faith to God, right? Mm. Mm, yeah. So there's an animus there. Yeah. Because your black Jews, the African Jews, if you notice, a lot of the African Jews that are either in Africa still or Israel, they're practicing, they're the faithful, they're, they're faithful Jews. Hard. Yeah, they practice. They practicing hard, right? Yeah, so that's hard. kind of a little bit animus between the two. Yeah, that's why you know on this show uh, we we speak about that Jewish problem, right? And. I always tell people you have to be very careful because you indict all Jews for the sins of people who are not really Jews and, right. and aren't practicing of the faith. 
So right. it gets kind of dicey because now it's like you can't be mad when people say all black men are violent based upon a class of people who commit crime. Right. They, Absolutely. Now you have to capitulate to the 13 and 50 meme, right? That's when you right. indict all Jews of the sins That's of a right. few. Yeah. Dangerous. Dangerous intellectual uh, uh, premise, right? You, you got in. And I, look, I'm not indicting anybody out there who falls into that. I'm just saying, like I told my brother Jason, wake up, aim higher, see higher, understand better. Mm -hmm. This is what we're trying to accomplish here. And it's a it's a it's an easy adjustment to make. Look, Christianity, the Abrahamic faith, whichever one. And I am one of those people who's not saying I'm believing Muhammad or or I don't believe in Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. I'm a Christian. But I'm 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 uh um judged not lest you be judged, right? First for the Jew, for the Gentile. If you submit to God, if you submit to, to faith in God and you're willing to follow the tenets of the faith, then more power to you. Yeah. More power to It's not for me to save everybody or evangelize everybody. It's for me to profess my faith and live, live righteous and try and evangelize who I can. But it's not my duty to evangelize any and all people. That's that's the that's the return of Christ. That's that's his work. That's that's his journey that's his prophecy to fulfill it's not mine you know so for even jason like again I'll, I'll go back to that and i don't mean to harp on that but i just it's so strange to see see how things unfold you got a show about christianity but again we're creating purity tests where it's like are you really about christian faith or are you about virtue signaling and and uh you know having some 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 moral high horse over over people based on christian doctrine mm. Judge lest not you be judged. And I'm Listen. not saying we can't, we can't, I'm not saying we can't rebuke and refute and we can't call people out for being sellouts. I didn't call LeBron out for being a sellout and, and, and many people that I've, I've criticized when they tell lies. Um, but, but it teeters on Jason actually just targeting black people on behalf of a, a sort of rhino neocon audience when, when you really don't have to, bro. That's the other crazy part. You know what I'm saying, bro? Yeah. Like, you really don't even have to do that. Yeah. Like that's what's real weird about it. Like the Steve, you're actually, you're actually undermining Steve Bannon's work without even knowing it. Mm. Steve Bannon's work is the way to save the Republic is the working class, black and Hispanic man, Latino, the black and Latino working class. That's Steve Bannon's work. Now they fence him as a white supremacist, but really he's doing nothing but inviting blacks and Hispanics into the Republican party and into the conservative movement. And you're telling them if they're what? If they're not Christian enough or if they voted Democrat in 2016, then we don't want them? Mm. What kind of what kind of counter counter work are you doing? Mm. You feel me? Can we let's can just we, talk um, yeah. we because we we talk about central bank, banking a lot, CBDCs okay. a lot on this show. And uh you mentioned that um Beyonce mentioned your um your protest surrounding yeah. uh George Floyd. And you led that protest to the Federal Reserve. Can you retell that story for the audience, please? Yeah. So when the George Floyd when the George Floyd situation first happened, for the first few nights it was haywire. I mean, the city you could literally feel the city was going up in in turmoil, right? I mean, you could see it if you were in a certain part. You could see the smoke. You could see, you know, it was it was wild, and um, you know, cars are flying all around from different parts in the city saying this is what's going on. And we had people who were saying that these 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 random groups were showing up, you know, doing weird stuff like dropping off bricks, pallets of bricks, and you know, all kinds of spooky stuff, right? Stuff that you know never let a good crisis go to waste type of mentality strategy. 
So what I did was I got my my uh, a few of my fellow athletes together, like forty of them, and I said, "Look, if we don't stand up now, it, it, then then y'all don't don't talk to me, don't call me no more. If y'all really if y'all really rock with me, if y'all really want to stand for something, y'all know how I'm rocking. You know I've been standing on righteousness and 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 trying to make an impact and help the community and help out people. If you if you rock with me, come meet me here on this day at this time. We're gonna do a march that's gonna be peaceful. We're gonna protest. I'm gonna take y'all to the places." That really, that really uh, uh, symbolize corruption and 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 power, right? Tyranny, and so we did that, and it just so happened that the um, the group that I got together is so influential, so pop popular, uh, and and there's you know the, the the buzz was so big around us doing it that you know the first day we went out there it was like seventy five hundred people, mm. right? It ended up being like seventy five hundred people, and I went on the same route that I ended up would go on for like the next. 12, 13 protests and it's downtown Minneapolis. And it's just a nice rectangle that takes you down uh, a street called Portland or Chicago, which is kind of a main, a main street. And then seventh street where um, first Avenue is right. Infamous for Prince where Prince performed seventh, you know, seventh, uh, seventh, uh, seventh is like a first Avenue is like the main street in Minneapolis. And then there's another street that the federal reserve is on. So we started at TCF Bank Stadium, right, where the NFL had built a new stadium with tax dollars, $2 billion worth of tax money for a football stadium. And the black kids in the neighboring school district can't fucking read, right? Start here, go down the street, got the Federal Reserve. You go down the street, you got the Highway 30, uh, Highway um, I-35 bridge, right? And so we would stop. We know we stopped traffic. We, you know, it's look. You know, let you know. Let, let's if you're gonna demonstrate, demonstrate, but demonstrate peacefully, right? And so, um, the second protest was like two days later. I didn't even want to do a second one. You know, a couple people that were older were there, and they were like, "Man, it was just so powerful. Like the stuff you were talking about. This wasn't what we expected. You didn't really shit on the police. You were just more talking about more general political ideas. And and you, we need more of this. Are you when you're doing it again? Mm. And I'm like. I don't even know if I'm doing it again. So I got back to the, you know, we had a little 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 office that we all hung out at and, you know, we just chopped it up and was like, all right, let's do it two days from now again. Because this ain't dying down. The city was still burning. And that was during the day. At night, fire still going up. I don't know if it's Antifa or Boogaloo Boys or whoever these groups are, but stuff is going wild. So we's like, okay, let's keep it going to, to set that, um, to be a good example to the community of how to actually take your grievances some to, to the doorstep of power. Mm -hmm. So the next time we come out, we start at the same place. We run the same route. By the time we got there, the start time, it was already 15,000 people sitting mm. outside of U TCF banks, uh, us bank stadium. Mm. I mean, it's crazy. When I pulled up the, the scene was like, it was like scary. Mm. You know, it was, a, it was a really scary scene because even if it, you know, no matter what you think about George Floyd or the circumstance or what happened or, you know, whether or not he died from fentanyl or the knee on the back or what, what I don't care about that. Am I a Roman citizen? Do you have the right to bind and beat a Roman citizen who has not yet seen a day in court? No, you don't. This is biblical. For all my 501c3 neocons, let's go to scripture. You don't have the right to bind and beat a Roman citizen who hasn't seen a day in court. Mm. Okay, so no matter how you feel about George Floyd, to see 15,000 people come together. Yeah, that's a sight to see after organically you know right. lady gaga ain't showing up <laughs> okay this is about civic duty at least there 
idea of civic duty, even if it's warped and perverted, right? These people are actually at least showing up, right? Which is like, man, and I could tell because I'm from the city that the people who, this wasn't a BLM organize, organized thing. You know, BLM, they got their little satellite pockets of, of protesters that, that do their thing, that they pay to do their thing. This was something different. This was people going, we just came off of COVID lockdowns. We've been locked down with uncertainty, not understanding what the government has done, what the government will do, what, what's going to happen next. And now a man dies out on the street in our community. And, you know, what, what, the, what the fuck is this? Yeah. You know, people, people that ain't never voted, people that ain't never been involved in politics, people that don't know what BLM or Marxism even is. Right. 15,000 strong. So I raise them up, we pray, and we go, we walk. And so when we walk, we go down Father Hennepin, we go across Father Hennepin Bridge. Now we took a different route. We, we go past the Federal Reserve down Hennepin, which is another main street in many, downtown Minneapolis. And that's where you see the picture Beyonce posted of the, the bridge with the two sides that go in both directions. And it's like 20,000 people. And she's like, this is the day Minneapolis stood up. Mm. Um, and so that, that, that day... Um, when we made it past that bridge, we take a right down University Avenue. People wouldn't even know what that is, but University Avenue runs all the way through St. Paul to Minneapolis. And the University of Minnesota is located on that street. It takes you to 35W uh, Bridge, the one that fell back when Bush was in office. Remember that? Mm -hmm. There was a bridge that fell in Minneapolis while people were on it during the day because the, the infrastructure was, was not solid uh, and people died that day. But this bridge was rebuilt. So we went to this bridge. We stopped, the, we stopped traffic on the bridge, and I was talking about corporatocracy. I was talking about the Federal Reserve and, and all of those things. Uh, and then a tanker came onto the bridge, uh, and, and people got really upset with the organization, with, with my people, because they said, you know, the security, people could have died. You know, it's, it's the security wasn't, wasn't thought out or, you know. I said, y'all seem to think that protesting or, or you know, uh, <laughs> arguing against the, uh, fighting the establishment is supposed to be secure and safe. Y'all yeah. want to be theatrical with, with this. This ain't about theater. Yeah. And so, you know, there was a little rift that happened in the community after that day, but I continue to bring protests to the Federal Reserve and nobody would ever cover it. Mm. CNN want to come interview me about, about the situation. The Washington Post wrote an article. They never mentioned the Federal Reserve or highlighted it. It wasn't until I, I, I met Steve Bannon. And Steve Bannon was like, hey, did you bring a protest to the Federal Reserve? Mm. And that was kind of the birth of me and his relationship because then he knew that I understood the fundamental problem in the country. And that was my introduction to the MAGA movement. I didn't come in as a, I'm a traditional Republican who comes from a, a conservative family and I, and I go to the country club and pay pickleball or, 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 you know, golf. I'm not, you know, making a caricature of white folks, but I'm just saying there's a motif of the traditional Republican. Right. Or I live out in the woods and I hunt and I'm big Second Amendment or I'm libertarian or whatever. I didn't come from that. I came from the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I figured out that the economic tyranny of the Fed and the monetary policy was at the real root of our problems and that the police were actually just being paid to be the jackboot of the military industrial complex, which they are. Right. They're the jackboot, right? They're, everybody thinks the police are there to protect me. No, the police are there to keep order. They're there to clean up and contain all the moral decadence that spills out from a crony capitalist corporate community. They're there to be there to clean up the mess, to make sure that the, that the chaos doesn't spill out too far 
so that so that it slows down business as usual. Whatever that business is for the for the establishment and the elites, mm. they're just the higher security, which is why we treat them so shitty. We treat cops in this country shitty as hell from an institutional standpoint. We throw we all we throw all our shit onto the police, right? All our moral decadence. The police are the first line of defense. You know, a mom loses her shit. I don't know. She's on crack or she does meth or. You know, she just has mental health issues and she shoots her 10-year-old kid for taking the SIM card out of the digital camera. Who shows up to that? Police. And they're traumatized. And we send them back into the field without giving them t paid leave. I, I mean, yeah. Uh, and then they get on alcohol and then they become assholes because if you're on alcohol and you're an alcoholic, you're usually an asshole. And then all of a sudden they, they pop up one day on a, on a routine traffic stop and shoot a guy with happy trigger fingers and then y'all want to tell me it's white supremacy. White liberal women want to tell me that the cop, that the KKK is loose, that the cops are the KKK. And then they want to tell me to call the cops when the KKK show up. <laughs> I was in Minneapolis giving these people hellfire. Like y'all got this whole shit twisted. What was, you know, let, what was yeah. the pushback that some of those white liberal women, they were trying to push you guys to vote. How does that story go? When the, when the George Floyd thing died down. So basically how this whole Biden Kamala Harris, you know, controversy about me is coming up where, where there was a tweet on my account that said, I voted for him, like as a black man and blah, blah. You know, there was a time where we are organizing these protests. We had volunteers that signed up from the community and we didn't really understand the full scope of their political beliefs because we weren't vetting people like that. Whoever showed up, we, we, you know, we, we worked with, and I was probably dumb, but, but, you know, just genuine enough to say, Hey, Y'all, you know, let's create a tweet schedule so we can have some social media outreach and things like that and try and get these messages out. And within that, that's how I found out that some of the white liberal women or, you know, some of the black liberal women who, you know, were working on social media stuff had these political beliefs, you know, these staunch Democrat political beliefs. And, um, you know, when the, when the energy died down from like, let's go to the Fed, slowly but surely, the white liberal women started saying, well, what's next? You know, well, what, what are we doing next? You know, it's like, uh, well, I'm going back to the Fed. Yeah, but people don't really understand that Jason Whitlock, right? They're giving me the old Jason Whitlock. People don't really understand the Federal Reserve, you know, so we got to come up with something different, something easier to digest. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, on the easy thing to digest is voter registration. Let's let's register people to vote. You know, let's 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 transition the energy of George Floyd directly to Democrat politics. And I was like, no, we not, no, we're not doing that. No. And the pushback came fast and furious. Cause once they realized that, that my, my intent was not to service the Democrat party through George Floyd's death and, and this newly, you know, newly formed community political activism. And once they realized that, then it's, you know, Royce touched me or sexual assault or, you know, some girl from six years ago said Royce, you know, touched her inappropriately. And I was just like, y'all can't, y'all can't big dick shame me. I mean, you know, you, you could do that to, to, to uh, Harvey Weinstein or whoever else. It ain't going to work on me. I'm from the community. Right. I got receipts with a lot of y'all. I got mm. from my wild days. I still keep the vault with the videos, you know, mm. just in case. Cause I knew the me too. My, I had this intuition that the me too movement was coming. I just had heard enough stories cause I came up under athletes. I just had heard enough stories that the, the, the Me Too thing is always a danger out there, right? So I had a lot of receipts. 
So, you know, the Me Too sort of allegations came and went really quick. Um, but the next, the next level became Royce is homophobic. Right. Mm. Royce is homophobic. Royce is transphobic. He's not inclusive. He's not accepting of, of different lifestyles and that. And that's when I really started to realize just how liberal Minneapolis was on the ground level, at least where I was at. And that's when I just was like, oh, no, y'all think, wait a minute, y'all can hold y'all's beliefs. But if you think that you're going to rally and protest in a black in, a, in the name of a dead black man and then bring LGBTQ and Me Tooism, LGBTQ, LGBTQism and, and, and Time's Up Me Tooism to the forefront and y'all going to use black women to do it, I'm, I'm calling bullshit on the whole lot of you. All of y'all are fake. All of y'all want to use dead black. You only like black men when they're dead or they're gay. You can Ooh. put a dress on them. Or you can, or you can put up a, uh, or you can put up a picture, uh, uh, or memorialize them. Them the only time you like black men, right? And you want to, and you know, and then y'all say, oh well, I want a black man who's thoughtful. You know, you got all these sapiosexuals. Now we're talking culture more. I'm just, I'm just messing around, but mm -hmm. you know, you got all these sapiosexual women, right? I want a black man who's thoughtful, who's who thinks and who, who you know has has a, a head between his shoulders. He thinks about things other than what's between my legs and doesn't see me as a sexual object. But I'm on OnlyFans getting money, and the black man who's talking about corporatocracy, I'm trying to cancel. Mm. This is how I met Jason Whitlock initially, mm. right? You live in Nashville. You live in the heart of white liberal women in the bachelorette capital. I don't care if they say they listen to country music or not. These women are liberal. You live in the heart of the, you live in the belly of the beast when it comes to white liberal women, not me. Mm. I, I, I already, I've already been cast out of the white. So there ain't no BLM plant. <laughs> he had the audacity, bro, to say I was trained. Whitlock said that? Bro, last night the man came out and said that I was trained to what? Infiltrate. Like he said I was infiltrating the conservative movement. I'm like, what? I'm rolling with the only people that's going to end up going to jail over the movement. Yeah. Steve Bannon going to jail. Owen Schroyer going to jail. Alex Jones sued into oblivion. Donald Trump on the on the on the uh, on the line for 800 years in federal prison. I'm rolling with the most radical people in the conservative MAGA movement. That's why I'm ultra MAGA. But see, that MAGA movement knows that. And what he really did was he played himself because now he's showing that he doesn't understand the fundamental premise of of America First policy, which I don't necessarily fault him on because he's at least been honest and said I don't really do politics. But you still do the politics for clicks, and you're mm. doing the sports for clicks, and you're doing the culture for clicks. And when we gonna get to the meat and potatoes? We mm. got into the meat and potatoes when I was on the show. And now you, and now you, and now your sole focus is to is to delegitimize me. You played yourself, homie. But how, how did the Democrat tweet get there on your account? We had some girls. We had some girls that was doing social media stuff, and they probably they tweeted it for me. You know what I mean? They was using my account. And, you know, they may, what may have happened, I think, because on my Twitter, I can't even go back that far, to be honest. Mm. Like, I, for some reason, when I try to scroll down on my tweets, it yeah. only let me go back to 20, 2022. Yeah, you right? have to do a manual search. Okay. But I couldn't even find it on my account. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, like, I couldn't get there at all. Mm. Right. So what probably happened was, this, this is what I think happened. When we were letting people do the social media, 
people were still probably logged into my account and I wasn't paying attention to Twitter like that mm. uh, at, at that time. And people were probably using my platform to try and forward their ideas in spite. Like, you know, since he said, since he said he ain't backing them, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala, or he ain't going to let us use the George Floyd energy to register voters, we going to go out and affirm this movement. Because at the time, I just wasn't really, you know, I had got burnt out with all the controversy and shit that was on the ground in the community. So I stepped back. I said, I, let y'all get it. Y'all got it. And I wasn't even really involved like that for a moment. So I was, I wasn't so watching social media. Access I just, to your Twitter account. Yeah. Not. Few, not only that, but like my Facebook and just other social media stuff. Yeah. You know, and I know who it was. I know who the people were, you know, we, that's, this is something that's more local, more personal, more internal mm. where, you know, the, the, um, that had all that's already been hashed out and closed off. Those security loopholes have already been dealt with mm -hmm. long time ago because right. I, I I knew it was going on, but I never, you know, I didn't double check to see if they had tweeted something that, you know, I just didn't, I wasn't thinking like that because my life has been moving forward, right? Like I'm not going back to 2020 with George Floyd. Why is the conservative media so worried about going back to 2020 with George Floyd anyway, when we're going to nuclear war, right? I'm moving forward. So after 2020 with George Floyd, I was in the big three. I talked about free the Uyghurs. I became, you know, involved with the MAGA movement with through Steve Bannon and going on War Room. Then I started going on Jason, and I've been a consistent voice in the movement. And then I ran for Congress, and now I'm running for Senate. Like I ain't got time to be going back and, and the so purity test ain't, ain't gonna work on me. Well, let's clear the air. Did you vote for Kamala and Joe? No, I did not vote for Kamala and Joe. No, not at all. You no. voted for Trump. I, I did not vote for Trump in 2020. Okay. I voted for Tulsi Gabbard. I wrote Tulsi Gabbard's name in. Mm, okay. Yeah. But at the but but at the time, even though I didn't vote for Donald Trump, I just didn't know enough yet. Right. Right. Like where I came from. Now let me tell you the history. Where I came from, my my story arc after the NBA was, I was in Houston. I lived in Houston. I was in Philly. I lived in Philly. I was in Sacramento. I lived in LA a little bit. And then I was in Minnesota for a short time. Then I moved to Canada for two and a half years, right? And so when I was in Canada, I was, I was there in London, Ontario, when the Bill C-16 thing went down with Jordan Peterson. And that blew my mind because I still, at the time, you know, my fight with the establishment came through the corporatocracy, mm -hmm. right? Through, through the corporate community and that sort of crony capitalism. I didn't realize the level of liberalism and Marxism that had popped up in mainstream politics like that, right? I wasn't up on that yet mm. until I lived in Canada and I saw them go after Jordan Peterson. And I'm like, what are they talking about? I don't even understand what they're talking about here. Like, this is weird to me. Mm. You're saying that this guy has to call a guy, a girl when she comes to class because of trans. And well, I don't know what that, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I actually got connected with Jordan Peterson, you know, uh, informally, you know, I got an autographed book of uh, 12 rules. I had one of the original, like 100 copies, because I was in Canada at the time and reached out to him. Like, I support I support you. I support what you're doing. You know what I mean? What you're saying. You're mm. making a lot of sense, which he does. Now, he's been co-opted by the neocons. But we'll, we'll save that for another day. <laughs> Daily Wire got him on their back. Um, anyway, I come back from Canada. And um, when I come back from Canada, I was just getting, like, the, the Donald Trump thing was just kicking off when I left for Canada. And when I came back from Canada, you know, th it was two and a half years later. So I wasn't really, I wasn't really paying attention as well as I should have to the whole Donald Trump saga. 
I knew that it was a scapegoat. I knew that they were using him as a, you know, to, to try and make it seem like he was the boogeyman or whatever. And I, in 2016, I was saying, y'all rocking with Hillary Clinton? At right. least Donald Trump will call it a swamp. I said that in 2016. I'm 32 now. I was 23 years old, 24 years old when that went in 2016, mm. right? I was like, y'all letting Hillary Clinton? Wait, what? Donald Trump is saying it like it is. But I couldn't vote then. I was I went to move lived in Canada. So I, oh, okay. I didn't vote then. And then when I came back, that was right around 2020. And I just got I just kind of like Tulsi Gabbard. I was yeah. like, I don't know enough yet. I don't know enough yet. And the and the the real Donald Trump story is behind a a, a thick wall of corporate propaganda. So if you didn't know where to go look, like for uh First of all, like we said, a lot of the conservative media is rhino neocon controlled opposition anyway. So you're right not to want to go get with those people, mm. right? Because there's some about their spirit that seems off. Right. And it is. It's neocon, right? Mm. And so, you know, you can't go to mainstream Fox to hear a story about Donald Trump. That wasn't what it, so I didn't have anywhere that I could really go and understand Donald Trump's policy position and his candidacy until I was introduced to Steve Bannon. Mm. When I saw Steve Bannon for the first time, I knew of Steve Bannon and his writings with Breitbart, but I didn't really dig too much into it. I just heard the name. But when I saw Steve Bannon on PBS Frontline and he explained the, the 2016 campaign and his two-hour video, I was like, oh, this, is the, this dude is the hitter, right? Because I already understood the corporate corruption I mean, the NBA is right down the street, right up the road from Wall Street. I mean, it's an uptown and, you know, it's downtown, but it's yeah. the same crew, yeah. right? That legal sort of hedge fund, you know, New York, Manhattan. Right across the bridge. Of, it's right across the, right across the bridge. bridge, right? Yeah. And so, and so um, when I first saw Steve Bannon, I was like, oh, this is what Donald Trump is on, right? But that wasn't until around 2020. Right. Right. So that was, and that was actually, that was actually after the election. Mm. So the George Floyd thing happened. I was already bringing people to the Federal Reserve. Then the, the election happens in November. Remember, you got, so you got 2020, yeah. May, November of that year. That's the election. And then you had January 6th, right? Oh, yeah. And so, and so, and so I, I was watching, listening to War Room when the pandemic first broke out early in March, right? Okay. But I was only listening to Steve Bannon from that, from that uh, uh, hyper global uh, pandemic uh, policy type of, uh, of of still hadn't really made that connection to Donald Trump yet, right? Mm -hmm. And then at the time, Donald Trump and Steve Bannon had become a little a little estranged too. If you remember, then the story of Steve Bannon and Donald Trump. Yeah, Steve Bannon was you know Steve Bannon and Donald Trump had some strife at a moment, right? right? Yeah, I remember that. So when I'm listening to War Room. It's mostly heavy. It's focused on the pandemic. That's why the show is called War Room Pandemic. Okay. Right. So I was listening to him from that angle. But eventually, it, it, when January 6th happened, I started to really see how how corrupt the mainstream narrative was around Donald Trump. Okay. Yeah, because then, I had just been out there protesting. So it's like, if y'all going to tell them they can't protest, next you're going to be telling us we can't protest. Right. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> which which they wouldn't do. I mean they they made they made they made exceptions for for Black Lives Matter protests. That that much is obvious now going and looking back. But at the time, I wasn't thinking like that. I was like, uh shit. Y'all basically the federal government's telling the American people, 
your grievances should never come to our front door. That's what the, that mm. was the message from January 6th. Big Under no circumstances should anything that you that we do, corrupt or 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 legitimate, ever bring any threat to us at our front door. I mean, that's just a bastardization of citizenship. So when when that happened, and they took War Room off of YouTube, they took Steve Bannon off of YouTube, and then they took Donald Trump down off of, off of you know Twitter and the whole. Then I was like, oh, I see what's going on here. Let me look into Donald Trump more now. Let me actually go listen to the whole interview and listen to the, oh, and then I was like, oh, y'all are running a real scan. So that's kind of my, my, um, my introduction to the movement. Mm -hmm. But if we go and back, like, remember, remember now, I was drafted in 2012. Okay. So I could even say with respect, where was Donald Trump when I was saying the NBA was the, was the gateway to globalism back in 2012? Mm. He mm. wasn't on that yet. He wasn't on that type of time yet. No, he definitely he's still getting he, He's still getting radicalized himself. He is. But he, me, I'm more focused. On, I'm more focused on where people are and where they're headed versus where they've been. So Donald Trump's included in that. I like where he's headed. So where are you headed with your campaign? I'm running for Senate against against the uh, <laughs> against the face of the machine, the face of the status quo, Amy Klobuchar. The good old uh, un unassuming middle-aged white woman who who's everybody's school teacher that everybody trusts to handle the business of the people in the Senate. And she's a great politician, middle of the road, very moderate, pro-Ukraine, pro-Israel, I would assume, uh, and, and shilling for the military-industrial complex from the Democrat side. She's a neoliberal. She's a neoliberal. Yep, Amy Klobuchar, neoliberal extraordinaire. So she's a Democrat. Yes. Okay. She's the Democrat version of the neocons. Yeah, she's she's uh you know, Lindsey Graham and and uh you know, McConnell. Mm. Amy Klobuchar is the exact same thing on on this side of the aisle. What platform the, would you guys side. argue on? Would it be um America gun control? First. America first. America first policy all day. Mm. There, there there is no other policy. There is nothing else to argue about in today's political climate. Either we're going to be either we're going to be a tributary state and a protectorate and police of the whole world, and we're going to be in perpetual war, and run our country into debt and collapse the currency, collapse the currency, or give our power over to the Fed and and CBDC and and international monetary agencies, or we're going to have some sovereignty and have a country with borders and and protect our own interests here at home. It's really that simple. And, and the referendums on the people. Yeah, I, I, if you want to vote for military industrial complex, you could vote for. Uh, you know, McCarthy, you could vote for Lindsey Graham, you could vote for Nikki Haley, you could vote for Amy Klobuchar, you could vote for AOC. I mean, there's a bunch of people you could vote for. They all they all get money from the mill from the mix and they all and they all uh end up shilling for the for the for the uh you know budget, the defense budget. So I'm looking at your website here, RoyceWhite.us. Yeah, that's my Congress website. Right. But my my, my Senate website's not up yet. Okay, so we're waiting, waiting on the Senate website to come up. Yeah, okay. yeah. Right. But a lot of my policy positions are there on the Congress website still. Let's take a look at that. Bring this up. Public safety, economy, globalism. Yeah. Uh, CCP, immigration. Yeah, for sure. Mandate, censorship, mental health, education. What are you saying about economy here? Because... It is my uh, theory that America is actually not a uh, 
it's not a communist nation. I mean, it's not a capitalist nation. It's very much uh, more communist than anything. Um, mm-hmm. Do you view America as a capitalist nation? Um, I think at the highest level, where we are now in, in the history and unfolding of, of society, uh, capitalism and communism find a merger in the American Uniparty. And and what I mean by that is, you know, <laughs> capitalism is is free market enterprise, and and they want to say that you know, it's, you know, it, it, that that markets solve everything, right? That free markets solve everything. They answer all the questions. No, they're the best mechanism we have to answer questions, but there's still a, a, a big gaping loophole, and it comes around morality. Capitalism without Christ, capitalism without faith and morality quickly becomes crony capitalism. And then you get corruption like we have now in the swamp, ran by the neocons for the most part. But but the other side is socialists claim that that um you know they're they're um that government um at the highest level once you get to global is isn't still um uh corporate, right? That the merger between government and corporations at the highest scale is is not um corporatism right uh, you know so and it's like that's a scam too right and when you go back in history and you and you know the the I, the the lineage of these ideologies capitalism more from the line of, of liberalism and and socialism more from the line of communism um liberalism and communism come from the same intellectual tradition the post-enlightenment intellectual tradition and they're two sides of a very similar coin right and you can start to see if, if there's any example of that, you can look at our current American political landscape and go, man, it's hard to tell the difference between these neocons, neoliberals, leftists, uh, you know, it's very, it's the, the lines become very blurry. So I'd say it's a bit of both, but neither of, of either, right? Not, it's a bit of both, but not either. You know, if, if that makes sense, that may not make sense, but no, in effect, it, it you know, capitalists, capitalists become socialists and communists when it's convenient. And, and socialists become uh, capitalists and authoritarians and, and tyrants when it's convenient. And everybody's using the ism to cover their tracks. Mm. That's that was a great statement. I agree with all of that. Uh, I focus majority of my time, you know, studying uh, central banking, talking about capitalism and communism. And right. uh, yeah, that's pretty fucking on point. Um, well, do you say I mean, you could say if you look at communism, right, your, your point about communism. The real, the the real, um, to your point, <laughs> the central bank would be the greatest example of how our country is more of a communist country, right? The 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 central bank is not a is not a capitalist monetary system. It's a communist monetary system for sure. Yeah, and it just so happens that it was started by people who actually shared the intellectual t- tradition of communism, right? So yeah, I mean, yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> Royce ain't I'm just crazy. radical. Royce. Hey, Hotep. Hey, Hotep. I'm just radical, right? Remember, I'm 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 just a BLM plant. Now, show me another BLMer that that talks about uh, central banking and the. I mean, come on. I'm just telling people how it is. People can look. I'm like this. Look. <laughs> I'm selling you a car. You could buy it, or you you could buy this motherfucker or not. I'm not really. You know what I'm saying? I, you could buy it or not buy it. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the American people have to choose if they want to have a country or not. And you could come up with every purity test and you could come up with every reason not to follow the leaders that could really move the needle and change the status quo. 
You can come up with those until the cows come home. But ultimately, it's just going to end up on your doorstep. And I love it. What, what makes me like Donald Trump the most is, is understanding, you know, that, that the attack on him really isn't an attack on him. And I know that because I've experienced it myself, yeah, not only true. with Jason, not, not with Jason Whitlock, but just throughout my life as a truth teller. The attack on Donald Trump ain't about Donald Trump. Come it's on. Not. It's, it's not. about us. It's Correct. about all of us. Right. And so what we, we really drop the ball when we need our leaders to be Christ like figures in order to follow them, in order to allow them to lead. Like when we, when we make, when we make the, uh, when we make a need for our leaders, to exemplify our ideal or our, our scriptural um, image of Christ to follow them. Nobody's Christ, but Christ. Mm. <laughs> nobody's Jesus, but G nobody's Yeshua, but Yeshua. So I, I can't, I can't, I can't tell, put Donald Trump on, Oh, did he have sex with Stormy Daniels? <laughs> or, you know, is he shaky on the vaccines? Yeah. Uh, or, or, um, you know, um, you know, Whatever you want to come up with, right? And, and they'll come up with laws, all of them. Bump stocks, all kinds of you know, all kinds of stuff. You could you could say. Mm -hmm. um, the point is, who does the establishment fear the most? Trump, because he you empowers may, the populace. There you go. He put the people back in the room. Yeah, and all of his flaws, all of his flaws included. That's why I'm supporting him. I'm not supporting him on any partisan. Right. If, if Donald Trump was to fracture and say, we're going MAGA party, if Donald Trump was to fracture right now today and say, we're going the America first party or the MAGA party or the America or whatever it is, I'm rolling with that party. Right. It, this ain't about, this ain't about party politics. That's what Vivek yeah. Ramaswamy at least is trying to say. Right. So, you know, the, the, the people in the party who are holding down the party entry, they're actually mostly the people who are secret never Trumpers. And what did Mark Levin say on the record in 2016? I'm not going to vote. I'll never vote for Donald Trump. I'm the newest. He said, I'm the newest never Trumper. And then he changed his tune and he started supporting Donald Trump. And I'm not saying he can't move from, from a position to another position. But when, you, you know, when everybody knows that the real, the real black hole in American politics is the lobbyism, and the, the special interests in D.C., when everybody knows it, like right out in the open, and one young congressman stands up in the well of the, in, of the, well of the Congress and says, all of you people are still going to the special interest fundraisers and galas and, and, and uh, you know, banquets and all, you're all still bought and paid for. And they stand up and boo him from both sides of the aisle. And then Mark Levin comes on his, his radio show and calls Matt Gaetz, uh, extremist or a radical or, a, a, you know, basically, a, a, you know, an attention seeker. Who are these people? Who are they? Right. Not who is Matt Gates. Matt Gates is a cowboy in the wild, wild west of a corrupt D.C. Uh, cartel. Right. And he's shoot, he's trying to shoot his way out of there. Right. He's in he's in a, he's in a saloon and the, gun, the guns are drawn and he's got his his six shooters out and he's trying to shoot his way out of there. I mm -hmm. get it. And he'll make some mistakes. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying Matt Gates is the, the symbol of, 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 of leadership, but I know what he stood up and said in the well of that Congress is what everybody else knows to be true. Mm. And the people that would rail against him, the people that would rail against me for saying the same thing on some bullshit purity tests, I got to ask myself what you see for yourself as a citizen, whether you be black, white, Asian, don't matter. What do you view citizenship as? And that's the hall, when you say what am I running against Amy on, 
the idea of citizenship has been lost. Mm. There was something to the idea of citizen. That's why I referenced the Bible. When you were a Roman citizen, the centurion guard couldn't just roll up and manhandle you. I'm a Roman. To be a Roman meant something. It meant something so significant that the police state dared not step on on the the, the symbol of, of being Roman. They knew better mm. because there would be ramifications and consequences on behalf of the entire Roman people, mm. the empire, on behalf of the identity itself. We're Roman. You can't just manhandle me, right? So that idea of citizenship used to mean something, and we followed in Rome's footsteps in all the wrong ways. We mm. became a vassal empire, spread too thin, but we've forgotten about the basic fundamental value of citizenship. And that's what we got to, that's what we got to get back to. I got um, so many thoughts and questions running through my head right now. First of all, um, let's just get Whitlock out the way now. You said okay. he wasn't, he's not fully red-pilled. And yeah. to me, that is the reason why he would view you as a BLM operative because he hasn't been red pilled enough to see things for what they are. And when you're blue pilled, you see things as people portray it to be or people tell mm -hmm. you it is. So I think mm -hmm. the reason why he's saying these things about you is calling you a radical is because he hasn't been red pilled enough to know what a radical even looks like. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Well, I mean, uh, yes and no, because I mean, he brought Matt Gates on the show, and he knows that everybody's calling Matt Gates a radical. He said it on his show that day that he supports Matt Gates and and you know that that you know we were proud of Matt Gates for for what he did, what he stood up and did. And so he understands the dynamic and and so he understands that people who are being called radicals are having that weaponized against them. Even Jason Whitlock himself is probably being called a radical by some people in the country. Yeah. So he understands what the, he understands what he's doing. But calling, calling you a BLM a operative, though? He's doing it to to de he's doing it because now he's on the griddle with his audience, and he has to justify why the 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 cat that he's promoted or the cat that he's given oh. all of this all of this you know uh, rapport to or this this admiration of why he's leaving the show now. Oh. So he has to justify he's it justified. to the boomer audience. He's justifying it to a boomer audience to a boomer audience that would love to believe I'm a, a, a BLM operative in, you know, some of them in their hearts. Let's just talk about it. They don't want to see a young black, a lot of, a lot of people don't want to see a young black militant man rise up to be the tip of the spear of the ultra MAGA movement. Now it just so happens those people aren't really MAGA anyway, because all the real MAGA people, when I'm over here, my show's going up on rumble every night. Steve Bannon runs, please call me crazy on it shows you how much of a white supremacist he is. <laughs> And how much of a plant I am. I mean, you put us together. I mean, I guess we're the we're like the epitome of of, of deep state operation, right? Um, Steve Bannon runs my podcast every night on on War Room's Getter page and Rumble channel, mm. and it's doing like a hundred thousand views a night. Mm. And all the MAGA folks that are on Rumble or on Getter, they're like, we love this dude. We mm. we took all the way the hat. You know, they call me the hatchet man because I just chip away at the truth. I'm not even I'm not interested in nothing else. And I think that comes across. I may have gotten a little, you know, passionate and expressive in this interview because of um, the emotion I'm dealing with with, with, with regards to Whitlock, because that was really kind of shocking. But 
But for the most part, I think I come across as genuine and I give people good historical knowledge and, 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 and information to, to try and see the world through. So I can't give, I can't give Jason the, the credit of saying he doesn't know what radical really means. Mm. He called me to hook up the, to set up the, try and set up the interview with Alex Jones. I don't know why Alex Jones don't got time for you. <laughs> I'm, 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 you know, and that ain't no knock on Alex. Alex a busy man. He's getting sued for a billion dollars. He's really a radical, <laughs> a radical in the best way. In the best sense right? of the term. Yeah. But when you look through the comments, when you look through Jason's audience and, and you start to take a fine tooth comb to who's showing up, these people don't like Alex Jones either. That's true. They actually only uh, they actually only keep quiet when when Jason gives some deference or respect to Alex Jones out of respect in their light for Jason. Mm-hmm. But when when it really gets far out there and Royce White comes on and starts talking in the same nomenclature about globalism and the deep state, like on my last podcast, I read the letter, the recent letter from Archbishop Vigano, um, uh, uh, who was the former apostolic nuncio to the United States uh, there in the Vatican. And uh, the archbishop is talking about the deep church. And he's like, the deep church is, is just as, if not more pervasive than the deep state. Mm. And there is a deep church. And mm. I'm a Catholic. And, you know, I don't, I don't mind that he's criticizing the hierarchy in Rome. I think that's healthy. I think it's good. We need it. So when you start to get out there and talk, a lot of people just have a natural sort of uh, sensitivity or rejection that the world is, is that dark, that complex, that, with, that, with that much conspiracy taking place. Which is why the other day, when it came to Mark Levin, I just broke it back down in simple terms. Iran Contra. Go look up Iran Contra. If you need to understand the nature of security in the CIA and the deep state, you need not look further than Mark Levin. Um, I'm trying to wrap my mind around what to do with uh, white conservatives. Um, mm. You know, I. Um, so let me just g- rant a little bit here so you can just Please. sort of understand my thoughts. Yeah. So you have the talking heads, right? You've listed many of them, right? Many of them I don't even know about, like Mark Levin, right? And you have these talking heads, and they're super popular. they got millions of followers, right? And then in some ways, I feel bad for white conservatives because I'm like, y'all following neocons. Y'all following people that don't give a shit about you. And Rudy, right. you know, Rudy comes on the platform. He always says it's the people with the microphone, right? The people whose voice is the loudest is getting all the attention, all the clout. How do we maneuver? What are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to counteract them? Do we stay in our lane? Do we call them you out? Mean black folks? You with, mean black folks or America in general? America in general. Me and you. You mean with the, with me the, and with you. the white conservatives? White conservatives specifically. White, con- so you got the talking heads and you got everybody that's following behind them like Ben Shapiro's words is gold, right? Right, 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 right. And Daily Wire just, you know, how dare you talk bad about Daily Wire? How dare you talk bad about Candace, right? Then you got me and you, right? Fuck just- the Daily Wire. <laughs> Fuck the Daily Wire. Candace Owens is growing on me. I'm telling you, pregnant Candace, not, not you know, about to pop, you know, uh, sweaty sweaty in the, in, 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 under the arms and, and, and hormonal Candace. Is growing on me because her her um her her no nonsense kind of uh uh you know before now I'm a, I'm gonna answer your question but before I'm gonna talk about Candace because I haven't always been a big Candace fan and this yeah. shows how you can move from one place to another in my sense and with Candace where she's moving to I think 
um, Candace has always kind of been doing a, a an act, in my opinion. Like she's very conscious of her presentation, almost to a point where it seems a little inauthentic to other black folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but but white conservative men, a lot of white conservative men love her, you know, because we got a jerk off society. And what better than a black young black woman who's pretty, who will say all the things that 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 I that I think. Um, and you know, she says a lot of true things. Right. But now, and pregnant Candace is like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I'm just, you know, I don't even got the time because I'm pregnant as hell. I'm tired. You feel me? And I just like that. I, I, yeah, I think there's a there's a certain beauty and a certain respect and admiration I have for where Candace is headed. Um, and I think she's gonna be a force to be reckoned with in the near future. Uh, but the rest of the Daily Wire can go, can go, you know, can go fuck themselves, really. You know, because you know, Ben and, and the rest of them, they're they're neocons. And I hate to see Jordan Peterson get co-opted into that. I mean, I Did just he? bro, look. Jordan Peterson is one of the most profound intellectual thinkers in American history. Okay. And, 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 and I say American history because he's been widely consumed in the American public. Okay. Right. Even though he's from Canada, I have such a large level of respect for Jordan Peterson's mind mm. and, and the way that his mind works and the bravery he had to flush out complex ideas in a time for an audience that likes things very much um, watered down, right? That, that has an attention span problem by design, right? He was able to, to come in and to explain things in a way that, that, that stretched the mind and the, and the attention span of your average American citizen, primarily men. It, unquantifiable what Jordan Peterson has contributed. I hate that he's gotten co-opted and he has this blind spot for this neoconservatism. I, I, it, it bothers me. It actually does because I'm such a fan. Like I said, I have one of the first 100 copies, the author copies of 12 Rules to, of Life. And, and, you know, as a person who's intellectual myself and thinks along those lines, who thinks about complex terms and, and rights and, and kind of, you know, wrestles with that, that, that dialectic uh, to try and explain complex issues, I have a lot of respect for Jordan Peterson. But this neoconservative blind spot is a real blind spot. And when you tell Netanyahu to give them hell in Gaza, um, there is no part of, of, of a Christian faith. There is no part of, of, a, of, a, of an Abrahamic faith, of Judaism, of being a Jew or being a Hebrew or being an Israelite. There is no part of our faith that, that, um, that validates genocide. That's just not a part of, of, of the fundamental tenets of the faith. And, and so, you know, and, and I get it. I, look, I get it. Palestine and Israel is an old conflict. It's an ancient conflict. There's so much baked into it. And I look, people, this is how crazy our, our, our uh, conversation is, Hotep. And I hope I'm not going on tangents. I just want to try and, you I know, get it. the chance. I, I, I respect it's you. Very thorough. I see you doing your thing. I, I see you doing your thing a long time. I appreciate any time I get a chance to leave. A historical record of the things I think, because I don't know if I'm gonna be here tomorrow. That would be a blessing from God, but we don't know. So I don't mean to go on a tangent, but this is how crazy our our culture is is, and how much has been warped, how much we've been hijacked. Is people would call me a shill for Israel because I say, listen, Israel originally was actually taken from the Roman Empire and turned into Syria Palestina. Before then, there wasn't a place called Palestine. But if you're living today in Israel, you can't go back and say there's not a Palestine now based on the Romans act. Right. So the, the, there's two sides of the. You see how it moves. 
Right. So after the first Roman Jewish war, the first Jewish revolution, the Jews lost that revolution. It was widely based on taxes. It was a tax revolt, ironic. Um, and the Jews are cast out into the diaspora, right? Many of them go to Babylon. Some of them go up into the Asia Minor and make their way into what people refer to as the 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 uh, the Khazars and, and that area there in the Ukraine, right, in Russia. Mm -hmm. So you had the Jews kind of go both ways. The Jews that went towards Europe, they became what, you know, Christians, right? This was Peter, and Peter dies in Rome and, and you know, you got the Catholic Church and, and so on and so forth. But anyway, you know, the Jews that were cast into diaspora, um, the Romans out of spite renamed Judea, Syria and, and Israel, Syria, Syria, Palestina. I mean, they just did it out of spite, mm. right? Because the Jews revolted and they lost, the Romans come in who had dominion over those two areas anyway, they just said, oh, you know what? This is Syria, Palestina now, right? Mm. So there is a claim to be made that the Romans, um, the Romans basically uh, tried to smear the identity of that place that was once Israel, Judea, and, and they did it out of spite in the favor of Palestine, right? Uh, you know, what would then become Palestine. Mm. And, and all that's fine. So it was, it was I mean, Israel, Judea, and then yes. they rename it Syria, Palestine. Yeah, right after the Roman Jewish War and the Jews were expelled into the diaspora, the, the Romans renamed the area Syria-Palestina. How does Canaan that, fit into all of that? Canaan, that's before. That's before. That's before this. Okay. Yeah, that's before. Canaan is before the days of, of Christ. I mean, it's still the area is still there, but that didn't really come into play with this. So the, the Jewish you. people, the, 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 the Jews, the Jewish history where the Talmud, the first Talmud is, is recorded to be written, right, mm -hmm. is in their Babylonian exile. And the Khazars go up into that that area there in the Ukraine. And the, so, the, yeah. you know, so, yeah, so this is, this is a history that's deep. I get it. There's a lot baked in there. I'm not trying to give an easy answer for the, for the resolution of that, of that conflict. I'm trying to give an easy answer for American citizens because I think the answer is easy for American citizens. This ain't our war. Mm. And we're certainly, it, it, would be, it would be damning of the soul to allow neocon warmongers to present this conflict as a biblical and holy conflict when in fact it's a money conflict. I mean, that's taking the Lord's name in vain, mm. right? You can't go to war in the name of Christ when it's really about money. money if you're going to yeah. go to war about Christ, then go to war about Christ. Right. But if we're going to go to war about Christ, we probably would have went to war a long time ago, and that war would have started right here in our own D.C. swamp because mm. the real fight against Christ is right here at home. I had somebody tell me the other day online, you know what the Arabs and the Muslims teach their children? And I go, no, tell me. Death to America. They hate America. They're going to spread Islam, even if it means by lying. I said, oh, no, I know, I know some of the, the more pernicious uh, tenets of, of the Islamic faith and the Hadith and how Muhammad's, uh, Muhammad's uh, you know, uh, writings or philosophies were warped and hijacked by, by radical, real radicals. I mean, to go into a, into a place with people, innocent people, and strap a bomb to yourself and blow yourself up, that's radical. I mean, now that's about as radical as it gets. Um, I know, I know, I know about Muslim. Yeah. I know about the extremism in, in Islam. Yeah. Well, tell me about the extremism in, in America. What do we teach our kids? We teaching our sons to cut their penises off. It don't get no more radical than that. 
I can I can feel the I can feel the discomfort right now in my own loins. Mm. I mean, if I'm talking about it, I mean, I think the two things are just as radical. If you're gonna cut my penis off and tell me to start identifying as a woman, I, I, man, that's almost like death by by asymmetric means. <laughs> I mean, you can either blow me up. up. You feel me? <laughs> I mean, and I'm not making a false equivalency. I'm just saying, right. it's this is part of, of extremism. This is the part of the narrative. This is the this is how narrative gets warped to to create uh, to generate the consensus of people to buy into exactly what you're talking about with the Daily Wires and the Jordan Petersons. They even got Jordan <laughs> as smart as Jordan is, as intellectual as Jordan is. They got him. I mean, he's, you know, give hell, give him hell, Netanyahu. <laughs> Bro, you know who Netanyahu is? This dude is, you know, uh, it, it, the, Netanyahu was a spook. He was an assassin. He he he's a military. He was a socialist who saw this is a great. You love this one. You talk about socialism and capitalism. Oh, Israel is the sine qua non of this whole scam. The Jewish social commonwealth, the Jewish socialist commonwealth, as projected or as uh, thunk as it was thought of by Moses Hess, original Zionist thinker. When Israel began, it was a socialist country. Mm. Bibi Netanyahu is on the record in on Jordan Peterson's podcast talking about how he shifted the politics from socialist to capitalist explicitly in the interest of military and security. Mm. What does that tell us about our own country? I mean, that gives us a little insight into the dichotomy we've got going here, right? Are we really socialist or are we only capitalist? Are we only Republican? Are we only conservative? Are we only small government unless it's military? Then we're we're a lot more liberal with our with our with our appetites, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know the, the the isms and things like that. The Daily Wire. I mean, come on, Ben Shapiro's neocon extraordinaire. Well, yeah. Um, so let's talk about the Palestine-Israel conflict as we begin to land this plane. Um, Please. So you're neither for no for Israel nor against Israel. You're neither for Palestine nor against Palestine. You're America I mean, first. That sounds like a lukewarm position, but at this time, currently in American history, as somebody who's running for Senate, I think that's the best. That that's the best. Look, we can talk about it morally, and we can talk about it from a policy standpoint. Hmm. Morally, I don't. I don't. I don't think that. Blessed is the peacemaker, for he can be called a child of God, mm. right? If there if there's a peace that can be brokered, if there's a peace that can be had even temporarily, while we await Yeshua's return, then I then I I invite that. Well, let me I, let me, let me cut that. you off. I just want to okay. speed into this conversation a bit here. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because uh, I had a former IDF soldier on the platform and we spoke, mm. and mm-hmm. um, it seems like that land was taken fair fair and square militarily a war was fought and a palestinians lost yes right so 100 percent, 100 percent right okay now it 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 turns into many different facets right is there's a moral argument for the palestinians staying there there's also the lip service that's paid by Israel, you know, when they said they wanted to broker peace and then they create agreements that like are just right. 
asinine nobody would agree to then say oh well we came to the table and they didn't say yes right and it's all of that stuff um it's it for me it's hard for me to pick a side it's very very hard for me to pick a side because if israel won the war and it, it it's their land now i don't like seeing innocent people being killed but i just can't imagine those two groups of people coexisting in that area i don't see it happening it's it sounds oh. to me like israel is going to take over the entire place and 50 years from now there won't be a single palestinian living there well well certainly that's what bb netanyahu uh invoked i think it was yesterday or the day before when he when he spoke in hebrew and he, he referenced isaiah mm. and he re he referenced the almanac the the the, the, the almanac um i think it's the almanac mm. where um God told the Jews to go into the land and kill every man, woman, and child. And, and um, they, they didn't uh, do that. And there are many religious Jews who say that's why the Holocaust happened. Or that's why certain plagues came upon the, G the, the Jewish people in terms of, of uh, death and, and, um, and uh, tragedy because they were, they were commissioned by God to kill every man, woman, and child, but they killed the men and kept the women, mm. okay? Uh, and so th th there's a religious uh, thinking about that. And, and Bibi Netanyahu invoked that the other day. I mean, he's referencing that that story almost explicitly and saying, hey, you know, either you can look at it and say he's saying we made that mistake before and we're not going to do it again. Right. Uh, you know, almost we have a mandate to, to go forward and do this, mm. which is as about as um, dark as you could possibly get. I mean, it doesn't get much darker than that. But why would we we be surprised? I mean, BB is who he is. Mm. Um, can they coexist? I don't preclude miracles. I mean, I can say that. Uh, what your 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 first point is true. I've said many times the legitimacy of Israel as a state politically is based on its military conquest of the of the of the area their military victory. And it wasn't just over Palestine, but it was over the three neighboring Arab states of Egypt and Lebanon and, and, uh, um, and, and Jordan, I think it was Jordan. Um, the, the Ottoman empire region. They, they, they fought a, the, the Yom Kippur war was a three, was a war against, uh, you know, was a war on three fronts with, with the Arabs right there yeah. in the region. It wasn't even so much about the Palestinians. It was the other three countries Correct. that neighbor them. Right. Correct. And they fought that off. I mean, if you go to war as a nation and you fight off three neighboring nations to a stand a standstill or to a ceasefire or whatever the case may be, you now have claim over that land. You want it, right? By by societal organizing principles, right? Um, now the 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 counterpoint would be to say that even then the United States had given substantial support to Israel, so they couldn't have won without us. And that's kind of the animus, the underlying animus that exists between the Arab world, their relationship with Israel and their relationship with us. Cause there again, what does the Arab world have against America? Why are they mad at us? Mm. We don't, well, the the petrodollar, right? We upholding the Saudi Arabian monarchy as a, as a hegemon economic hegemony in the region, but also Israel, right? So you got a two pronged sort of American uh, footing in the region. And also the, the religious Arabs, 
who I don't take on face value in the claim that this is that their hatred for us is based on their faith. Right. I mean, I'm just not buying that 100 percent either. Mm -mm. I'm not I'm not one of these old. Oh, the Muslims are faithful and peaceful and that's it. And they just you know, they don't like us because we're trying to westernize their 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 culture. Um, but there is some of that. I mean, there certainly is a certain sense. Uh, you can tell by the way they live that part of them is uh, a sort of uh, live on the land, more minimalist culture, mm. right? You look at the Kurds up there, uh, Don Barzini, it's a funny name, Don Barzini is the, the warlord of the Kurds, right? Who are mostly Jewish, another s sort of Jewish security state satellite operation there in the, in the region where the Kurds are. Uh, under control. Mm -hmm. And and Don Barzini, you know, they're 50% Jewish, 50% Muslim, but they're Muslim light, right? More so Jewish, the Kurds. And the, the Kurds are holding down territory on three nation states. They have their own territory on three, on the, on the land of three different nations right mm. there. Right. So that tells you how much juice they must be, but these people live on the land. Right. So there is a sort of sentiment in that whole region that they don't want to be westernized or, or modernized. And we had neocons, neoliberals. The neocons went in and said, hey, oil, dollars, military support. The neoliberals went in and said, we're going to give you democracy. We're going to teach you what it means to be woke and be progressive. And that is the, the uniparty. And so there's a general hatred towards the West right now that we want to change the way that they live. And, and we had this same idea going into China, that when we went into China, we would make the Chinese more American. Uh, not, actually, we became more Chinese. Mm. We became radical materialists that were focused on price and prioritized price over, over everything else. We became the, we, we started to reflect the impulse of the Chinese in this whole trade. So there's this whole idea that we can sort of, you know, gentrify cultures, uh, you know, with our, with our, with our superior, superior ideas of democracy. And it's like, who are you guys fooling? You haven't been able to do it. You're not probably going to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Bring our boys home. Bring our sons and daughters home. Bring, you know, let, let's stop spending $2 trillion a year on, on, you know, trying to keep a footing in the, in the Middle East. Let them have their war. And that's the other part of it is people look at the Palestinian thing and say, well, we have to help the Palestinians. Um, excuse me? Excuse me, the Palestinians have the right to, 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 to you know, um, the Palestinians have the right to determine their own, their own destiny, right? Their own fate. Yeah. The, you know, we don't have to protect. The, now, the only claim you could make, which is a rightful claim in some, in some sense, is that we've, we've dislodged, we, we've, we've tipped the scale so far in Israel's position that it, it, it kind of be dishonest at this point to leave the Palestinians to fend for themselves, mm. right? I mean, if I put two kids in a room and I give one kid a gun and the other kid ha is, is unarmed and I say, whoever comes out, you know, you know, you know, whoever comes out is my child. Well, we've seen, self, we've seen that sort of self-sacrifice before in the Bible with Abraham and, and God asked him to sacrifice his kid and he, and, he, and he says, I'll do it. And then at the last moment, God says no. And that's how we, we got away from a, a culture of child sacrificing. But my point is, you know, that's kind of how this conflict is for the American empire. We're the parent in this, you know, we're the parent here between these two. Remember now, the Palestinians, you know, the Arabs, we, we aren't, we aren't uh, not in business with the Arabs. We've always been in business with the Arabs. So we're on every side of this trade. Uh -huh. 
which makes us the parental figure in the in this in the matter. And we've disproportionately armed one. I mean, come on. And let's go to the Israel. And this is what I said to Whitlock. Look, if Bibi Netanyahu thinks that the American people, that the MAGA America First cohort is going to stand by and let him insult our fucking intelligence by telling us that Hamas rolled up on Israel's wall with 5,000 front loaders and nobody saw it, nobody responded for eight hours, that there was a failure of an intelligence that profound that this atrocity took place. And now all of a sudden in the counter-strike, you guys have high-level intelligence where you can go door-to-door and get Hamas out of there? And everybody called foul on that narrative so early that so you early. saw Israel. You, but guess what you saw? You saw Israel change their position in real time. They went from, we're going to go door to door and eradicate Hamas to we're just going to bomb the living shit out of it. Right. Because you're right. There is no way for us to identify Hamas. How do you know, you know, if they open Rafa's crossing, right, and the Palestinians flee to Egypt, how do you know that Hamas, and then they're saying the Palestinians can come back. I mean, they actually have the audacity to tell the American people or the world, the entire international community, that they're going to drive the Palestinians out, with Hamas included. And at some point, the Palestinians can return when Hamas is gone. How do you know Hamas isn't leaving with the with the rest of the Palestinians? <laughs> and then coming back with you, them. <laughs> wait, wait, well, hold on. There's two sides to the coin, Hotel. Mm-hmm. You seem very confident in identifying these, these Hamas terrorists. And either way you look at it, either you have the intelligence and you know exactly where these people are, which meant you knew exactly when this attack was coming and somebody let it happen, or you don't know where these people are, and this entire military campaign to get rid of Hamas is really a cover story, a bullshit story for genocide. Mm. Either way, don't tell nobody who has real has a real a logical first principles-based mindset to buy either story. Mm. The real story is this shit runs deep over there, and you can't trust any of these people. In fact, wasn't Hamas started by, wasn't, wasn't it Israel that initially funded Hamas and started Hamas? Yeah. Okay, so now again, now we're at the Iraq and 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 uh, Sir, uh now we're back at the Iraq and Libya scenario, mm. where the Western intelligence community thinks that their balls are so big that their minds are so sharp they can go in and fund the Mujahideen and not end up with a 9/11. Oh come on, you people, you people make me sick. I spit on the floor. You people <laughs> disgust me. Just don't do it in our name. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, America first, Miss Miss Klobuchar. If you want to go fund Ukraine, if you want to provoke a nuclear war with the only other nuclear superpower in the world who has more nukes than we do, if you want to go provoke a nuclear power in some strange Atlanticist, Great Britain versus Russia, the great game conflict that we're still shilling for the crown, if you want to go be anti-Russian and invoke a nuclear war, just don't do it in our name. Mm. If you guys want to go genocide the Palestinians, just don't do it in our name. And, and quite frankly, us America Firsters, uh, uh, we are the we are the um, the silent majority in this country. We don't have the levers of power to do anything in service of the uh, the, the the Palestinians or the or the conflict in general right now. And that's why I thought Donald Trump again showed his mettle as a president and as a leader when they questioned him at the CNN town hall about Ukraine. And he said, "Look, we just want the death to stop." But understand, everything that happens in this next moment in history, in this next chapter, in this next few weeks, few months, as this military shit kicks off, on the record, you didn't do it in our name. I don't know where Jason Whitlock and Mark Levin stand, 
I don't know where the Ben Shapiro's and Jordan Peterson stand. I don't know where the Sean Hannity's and, and Gutfeld's and Brent Bayer's and all these. I don't know where these conservatives stand on the matter. But you didn't do the shit in our name. Not mm. us. Mm. Last question. I've uh, been tracking these Palestinian protests. Mm-hmm. And come to find out the one in London, communists co-opted. The one in the United States, communists co-opted. Now, when I point these things out, obviously there's trolls, there's bots that say, hey, what are you, you know, you must be a Ziocon. And really what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to warn people that if you're on the Palestinian side of things, that you are going to be co-opted by communists. What type of advice could you give these people on how to deal with people who try to co-opt your movement as your movement was attempted to be co-opted yes, by wow. what white a great question. liberals? How, yeah. how do they prevent, because they have a true struggle that they believe in, yeah. Palestine, yeah. lives matter. How do they you know, prevent themselves from being co-opted by the communists and then diverted to the Democratic Party and communist interests? Um, the point of prevention the point of prevention is going to be be at the at the uh, culmination of their protest in the negotiation rooms and what they allow people to negotiate for on their behalf, if that makes sense, right? So, so you know, if we call a protest, and this this is where I get the concern, you know, I tell the conservative movement go kick rocks because after George Floyd died, the conservatives could have been out there in the streets. When I called for a protest, I didn't care who showed up. I just wanted the American people to show up. And, and, and have their voice be heard. I want to put the people back in the room the same way Donald Trump did. When Donald Trump came down, when that scandal hit about the, the locker room talk and he came down from, from his penthouse and he went down on the street, all the people that were out there weren't MAGA or didn't support Donald Trump, but he felt it necessary to, 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 to communicate uh, to all of them, right? And Steve Bannon tells a great story about Donald Trump. He's up there and this crisis hits about the, the, the locker room talk tape and it sounds pretty bad. And Donald Trump goes, you know, here's a roar from the street. And he's like, you know, there's a commotion. And he's like, those are my people down there. I got to go down there. Those are my people. And they're like, no, these people are going to rip you apart. He's like, no, those are my people, right? So my, my point is part of being a citizen and living in a society is that, especially if you go to do demonstration, you can't, you can't vet and pick who can come and who can't. I mean, that's sort of a posh, yuppie, intellectual way to think about public demonstration and civic duty. <laughs> mm -hmm. We don't, we don't, we don't get everything we want in mm -hmm. times of crisis. We take what we can and we use what we have to, to, to move on to the next, the next day, right? The next, the next battle. So mm -hmm. you, you can't, you can't, Hamas can't stop BLM from joining them. Mm. Right. But when they get to that negotiation table, when it comes time to vote, when it comes time to talk with the politicians, when it comes time to, to do whatever power their lobby is able to, to get to gather up, to muster up, if they don't let B BLM, Hydra, and Trojan Horse their policy demands, that's how you keep uh, a BLM from co-opting the movement. And that's what I tried to do. And that's why they wanted me out. Because they knew if I got in the room with the mayors and the, and the governor waltzes and all that, there wasn't going to be no happy talk. There wasn't going to be no fluff, no fluff in, in the game, right? There wasn't going to be no payoff for the black community nonprofit leaders who take a sweet, handsome payout and a promise for federal grants and loans to say that there's been progress when really, when really all you've done is use yourself as a way to prop up the same scam. And, and that's why I said to them, 
You're saying the whole, you know, guess what the number one thing I heard was the whole system's guilty. Right. During George Floyd. The whole system is guilty. Okay. And I thought to myself, you're damn right it is. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. The whole system is very guilty, right? A lot of culpability in the system. Who are we talking about specifically? I want to go to the Fed. You want to go to the police station. Right. It's a different level. Right. And so, you know, in the aftermath of George Floyd, when I start to see them make uh, uh, all these exceptions for the system when it's big pharma, when they make all these exceptions for the system when it's big tech, when they make all these exceptions for the system when it's all of these liberal apparatuses, I'm like, oh, y'all didn't really mean the system. Y'all mean the part of the system that's fighting the establishment. And they've actually, and they got it right. The neocon Republican bullshit is a part of the system that's corrupt and guilty. But they're in league with those people's political masters. When BLM goes out there, the George Soros's of the world are in league with the Larry Finks and the Joe Bidens. I don't care where you see them on the left side of the political spectrum. Their 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 agenda services a, a, a similar ideological worldview. And they have a few neocons, actually a lot of neocons, in on that with them. They're all in on it together. I mean, from the furthest progress, the only people who who actually have a deviation from the from the status quo are the furthest leftists, right? I mean, these people are actually kind of ideologues. They believe in a more genuine communist, socialist sort of political structure, yes, right? Yes, yes. And, and, and so there's genuineness in their worldview. Mm. It's just the, the outcome and the result that's so uh, abhorrent that right. they want. Correct. They're very anti-human. They're very anti-freedom. They're very authoritarian and, and, and you know, authoritarian and, and big government, uh, an expansive federal government, a totalitarian government. That's why a lot of them are pro-China or, you know, communist. I mean, you get right. So at the farthest end, you know, like they're the only people who really deviate, but even they fall back into the, into the thing because all of them kind of want one similar thing. They have a very anti-American, anti-individual freedom and citizenship mindset about politics, right? It's how do we get the American citizen to give up their freedom and rights for either security or materialism? And they'll they'll push everybody over into that camp in some way, and and they'll you know the the only difference is only the true leftists truly believe in communism. Everybody else between there and the neocons, they're just using whatever ism they need to scam the money. <laughs> they're just stealing everything that's not tied down. And I said about George Floyd a number of times, and the conservatives hate when I say it, but it's true. When your government steals, everybody steals. Mm. When your government's stealing at the level they're stealing at everybody's fucking stealing. Absolutely. Right. And you can't, you know, that's not to say, oh, if you steal, you can, you got an excuse or you can blame it on your government. No, no. you got individual responsibility, but your government sets a precedent of the culture that it presides over. And when your government just says, Hey, anything goes, then you got that problem widespread. So you could, again, your co-op question is this. I mean, answer is the Palestinians are going to come to a place Israelis, whoever these movements are, you always come to a place where either you gain enough momentum to have a seat at the table and negotiate on your own behalf, or you never make it there. If you make it there, you stay genuine to your interests. And for the Palestinians, that would seem like an easy one. There's no part of the BLM Marxist movement that services the baseline uh, faith tradition or worldview of, of Palestinian Muslims. So they should have an easy time. Now, if they sell out, then they probably aren't so Muslim, are they? Right? Mm. 
And there are globalists that are Palestinian, and there are leftists and Marxists that are Palestinian. So when we talk about isms and faith, you got to realize that Marxism and communism is its own sort of religion that supersedes race, ethnicity, gender, age, whatever. The, these people aren't black, white. They aren't Christian, Jewish, Muslim. The Marxists are Marxists, and and that's their that's their faith tradition. That's their religion. Mm. Um, so you know, and, and every every culture is going to find here how many Marxists are actually amongst them. How many people said they're Christian, Muslim, uh, Arab, black, white, green, Asian. When you really get down to it, they're communists, mm. right? And, and that's, their, that's their header. That's their focus. Great advice. Um, 87 Sparker said, yes, you most likely uh, to have seizures. I actually work in mental health. Thank you, 87 Sparker. Uh, BB, thank you. Say, Hotep, you smart as fuck. Think you can survive the jungle, Arctic, or desert? I can survive anything, damn it. Um, shout out to my Rumble rants. Kofi Fiovich said another great conversation. Thank you. Appreciate you. Aunt Bailey. Aunt Bailey plays uh, semi-pro basketball. Said, shout out Royce. He could still play in the NBA. Uh, he got to link you with thank Ice you. Cube as well. Hashtag thank Big you. Three. Yeah, I'd love to talk to Ice Cube, but I'm not the type of guy to go, hey, can you talk? Connect me. I don't. I don't do that stuff. If Ice Cube wants to talk to me, I'm sure Ice Cube has heard of me. He'll come when he's ready. I'm not worried about that. Royce, thank you very much for uh, exciting conversation, and uh, I hope we do this again soon, man. Yeah, man. Maybe not as long as that. You know, we, we we covered a lot of ground. I I appreciate the time. I just appreciate that people are even willing to have conversations that are three hours. I find it I find it funny that um you know certain individuals want to criticize. Uh, the authenticity of, of other individuals when it's like, I'm here for the conversation, you know, anytime, any place, I appreciate that you will have a three hour conversation. It's so rare in our culture and we need to talk, we need to be committed and take the time out, carve the time out to have conversations, how they need to be had. Um, we cover a lot of ground. I thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Um, if people would tune into the podcast tonight, please call me crazy at 9 PM. Um, I talk about the neocon scam a little more and go go a little bit more personal with Jason, but I definitely appreciate your time and your audience and um, much love to everybody. Fight continues. I appreciate you. Make sure y'all hit the like button. Make sure I hit the subscribe button. We'll be back tomorrow, 2 p.m. for another episode of The Griff Report. I'm your host, Hotep Jesus, the, the, the Griff God. I'll see you later.